there, Steven. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash, this is Steven. Hey, uh, before we begin, I just wanted to say I'm actually pretty glad that we decided to go 6 to 8 instead of 6 to 9, because despite all the cool 69 jokes we could have had, uh, there was actually quite a bit in here, and I think we got enough to talk about. I felt that way after chapter 6. <laughs> uh, I hadn't even started chapter 7 yet. I'm like, I'm really glad we're not doing four chapters. Even my note frequency cut down as the chapters went on, because I'm like, I'm going to be talking too much. And I, I, like last episode, we skewed towards the beginning. I think maybe because we got a little worn out, but also like there's just, I felt like that was just kind of how things shook out. And that might be how things shake out in this one. Chapter three, there's stuff to talk about, but less than like the first couple. So, mm-hmm. all right. Um, or when I say three, I mean eight, you know, whatever. The third chapter of this reading. Alrighty, before we begin, we got some meta notes and unorganized thoughts. Do you want to hit those first? Yes. All right. So first, and I said this after, like we were at, uh, leave aside the the nonsense of how the recording software works, but we were chatting after we finished recording, and I was like, you know, thanks a lot for like asking me to do this, and your approximation of me enjoying this this book was like 100 spot on. And I was like, wait a minute, that made great show content. So like, because people uh, might. Un- I guess you deserve public recognition for your your so your 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 accurate estimation of of me and what I would enjoy and the experience of doing this in this format is a lot of fun. Um it's given me a whole new appreciation for what it's like for uh like I think I mentioned in the first episode, you know, people be like, "Well, how did Brian not remember, you know, there was reading comprehension jokes and it's like cuz I read it once a week ago and like I remember lots of stuff but not the specifics." So I'm I'm getting more appreciation for that, but also it's just like this is interesting. And like one of the, I think we talked about uh, like when WandaVision was coming out week to week, uh, the benefit of having a release schedule rather than just dumping everything on Netflix all at once, yeah. because it lets you sit and enjoy it. And like, you know, it like, like savoring after a good meal or something. Right. Like, yeah, totally. So like being forced to do that. Cause I 100% would have, I don't know if I would have finished the book by now, but I wouldn't have stopped reading it um, with any of my free time. So like uh, if I, if I weren't encouraged slash coerced to uh, take it slow, I would have burned right through this, but I'm being forced to savor it. And I appreciate that. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad to hear that you (laughs) like it so much. I figured you would, but you know, it's, it's always cool to get confirmation. Um, I forget like princess warrior, Zila. I forget the exact user handle in discord um, said that, uh, like you undersold it. High priestess. That's what it was. Um, high priestess warrior. I'm going to give her the warrior title. Um, uh, said that you undersold it in like the pitch. And I think that, and I mentioned on there, but you know, it's worth mentioning on air as well that like, I think you just in general have a, I think an appropriate attitude to like not wanting to oversell things. Yeah. And because like if you come in and said, Stephen, I think you'll like this on par, possibly more than methods of rationality. I'd have been like, I'm skeptical. Um, but you would have been right. However, you know, you you guard your the the expectations of people and then they come in super stoked, you know. Yeah, I've, 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 I've had that experience before where I've seen something and like people are telling me, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. This is so good. And so like I go in with huge expectations and I watch it and it's like, yeah, it's good. But it's not like amazing. And so I feel let down by what is actually, you know, a pretty good movie. I wouldn't have been let down at all if I just went in expecting a regular movie. But since I was expecting one of the best things I've seen in my life, it's like, uh, where's the where's the awesome, you know? I feel like you're mention- you're you're trying to avoid mentioning outright me pushing Santa Clarita diet on you at least five times. <laughs> no, that was actually not what was on my mind. But you, you, um, you gave it an honest shot, and I, that's all I asked. 
Um, yeah, like the, uh, and then we'll move past the examples, but like I went into the Justice League Snyder cut with uh, Suicide Squad as my baseline. Oh. And so, but it makes it really easy to away. enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. I actually went in with Justice League as my, as my baseline, like, uh, you know, whatever combination thereof. And it's I enjoyed slightly it. Slightly better than Suicide Squad. Yeah. Yeah. Just, like, yeah Justice League. It's a 1.2 instead was, of a 1. Justice League was a solid 5. Um, Suicide Squad was a solid 2. And uh, Snyder Cut, I think a 7 or an 8. It was really good. Okay. I feel like it hit everything that it was trying to do, whereas like you could you could just see all the flops in the original one. But we're not here to talk about Snyder Cut. We're here to cover the other couple of quick meta things. So Hobo Demon um, gave us a, a fact check, which I appreciate because I was way off the mark. Um, I don't know. See, again, it's one of those things I heard once and it's just not true, but um, uh, that but bayonets were banned and you called bullshit and uh, Hobo Demon backed it up. Apparently, the Brits did a bayonet charge in Iraq in 2004. And it was successful, which to me is grotesque. I figure like bayonets are attached to guns, right? Like why not just shoot them? But uh, you know, this, these aren't muskets. You you know, we don't have to reload them anymore. Like we, you know, not like we did. Yeah, um, but you know, also I'm sure, I'm sure I, there was a reason. Right. Uh, the the guns are sometimes hard to bring to bear. Well, rifles, long guns, especially in close quarters, and you might get better use out of a, a you know bayonet stabbing style. That's true. What, what I pictured. When I pictured the Brits did a charge, I pictured like a 300 style phalanx that organized and charged. But yeah, it could have been. Uh, I'm sure tactically, this would be like time. yeah, close quarters in ally in alleys or like clearing a, a tenement that's just got furniture and broken walls everywhere. There's there's lots of times where you might not have the opportunity to train your gun on someone. You just got to go stab stab as soon as you like stumble on him. And then Wes had a cool observation. I don't know if he was the only one who made this or not, but in the Discord, this was tossed around that. Bumblefuck, because uh, Arab, uh, which I don't know why that's a lazy name, because that doesn't sound like anything to me. But uh, I kind uh, of, I kind of agree with June when he says that's a lazy name. Like it sounds like if someone asks you what's the name of this world and you hadn't thought of something, you think like Earth, Earth, uh, Arab, Arab is like Earth, where you just change one sound at the end. Yeah, I guess. Okay, I can see that now. I mean, because it looks sufficiently alien to look like a new word to me, but. Uh, yeah, when you when you phonetically spell it out, yeah. So anyway, June remarks that Arab sounds like lazy and thought up on the fly, and what Wes and possibly others on Discord points out that bumblefuck is like the exact same thing, <laughs> yeah. uh, but may, maybe more, uh, you know, with a neon sign around it. Um, yeah, but that's kind of fun. So it could just be, you know, like kind of just lampshading away, like yes, these are made up names or something, or it could be a clue. Uh, yeah, probably. I just when I was giving my um my defense of why I didn't think Bumblefuck was a big deal, that was like literally what I was thinking at the time I was reading it, which is what I'm trying to stick with whenever I'm talking with you. Oh yeah, no, that's totally fine. You're you're, you're allowed to share the thoughts you have. Um, otherwise, I'd be just talking to myself. Yeah, and I can't just keep telling you that you know everything we talk about might be a clue because, as we know, not everything is a clue. <laughs> as you say. <laughs> yes. As All I right. keep claiming. Oh, and then I realized, uh, so like we've got the spreadsheet that is linked to in the show notes, but show notes are annoying to go find and click. So, you know, since the list isn't long, we can get all caught up on my everything is a clue prediction thing. And then I'll add any more that I either put in the notes for this episode or think of during the recording to the list. But I've got the chapter number and then the actual prediction there. And so chapter one, I just, like I said, I immediately paused and was like, Frongle is clearly going to be important. And it was, it turned out to be like essential, um, Chapter four is, I think, a larger payoff. 
like we get this digression into Arthur and how important he was. And when I was reading that, I'm like, all right, Arthur's showing up again. If he's transported here when he died, I get bonus points because that's a more refined prediction. And then I want 2x bonus points if he's the big bad. Real quick, um, when we said that Hobo Demon and Wes made comments, those were comments made on our Discord, uh, which we have a link to in the um, homepage of this podcast. This podcast is Not Everything is a Clue, where we discuss Worth the Candle, written by Alexander Wales. And uh, we have a Discord where people can make comments, which sometimes we will read and sometimes even mention here. And there's link at hpmorpodcast.com, which is the home site of this podcast. Thank you. Yes, we should actually just write the title of the show, like read the title and attribute Alexander Wales at the beginning of each episode. Um, <laughs> we'll put that on the notes next time. Uh, yeah. There was last thing, and this is exactly the kind of galaxy brain shit that I love, Old Wind Ways on Discord, because we're talking from the top of the ladder of paranoia. He's like, you know, Juniper and Cypress are both coniferous trees. Might there be some significance to this? Dun, and I'm dun, like, dun. you know what? Next person with a tree name, I'm betting they're super important. I hope that's the case. <laughs> Once Bert shows up. <laughs> I mean, Fern is almost a name. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. All right. Any- anyway, if there's another tree person, then uh, then Old Wind Ways gets a point. I guess, right. uh, yeah, an experience point. I don't know how we're pretending to hand out credit on these ones. So, okay. Yeah, we'll give them so, one experience point. You got to make a lot of cool predictions to get to level two. That's right. Or you can give us $2 in a month because <laughs> that is what is required to get to level two on the Patreon. <laughs> Valid. Your choice. Do a lot of hard predictions or give us two bucks. I like it. All, All right, right. So let's jump in with chapter six, Cold Comfort. Cold Comfort it is. Um, okay. So this is this is fun and interesting, I guess, right? Uh, the... Um, I'm trying to summarize quickly. So Emeralis is unimpressed by like him bowing there. And uh, I like this, like there's a couple times throughout this where she's being like matter of fact and cold and calculating. And June is like, I hope that's a front. I'm like, it's totally not a front. She's just like a stone cold badass. Yeah. Um, and so speaking of stone cold, uh, you know, my, my boy, Paul, who I've loved this whole time, um, like, okay, well, um, Tell us about your ball, I, boy Paul that you love. I've, I've got I've got a now caveat, you know, because I didn't know what you what you did. You know, I guess the people on the plane were supposed to be criminals, but I have no idea how just that system is, right? Like, for yeah. all I know, these are just political dissidents. Um, it, I mean, you, we know that they live in a monarchy because she's a princess, and uh, he was, and she believed that it was plausible that he was thrown out of the plane for distributing pamphlets. So, right. yeah, maybe it's, these are people who like called the king's cousin a boo boo head or something. Right. Or stayed up past curfew. Like, I have no idea what sort of what dictatorship this could be. In any case, he was on the plane for raping somebody in front of two witnesses, which like, so there was the, uh, there's a couple things with that. Like one, um, I think my note for that was just like, well, well, first, like, uh, either lying in this universe requires deception with a capital D and Paul doesn't have it, or he can't bring himself to lie, like either in general or to princess, uh, Amaryllis. Like I, I figured he probably thought that, you know, if he's trying to gain the princess's trust, one of the signs that he is trustworthy is just coming straight out and telling her exactly what he did without trying to lie or, or obfuscate at all. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, it, that could be. I, I don't know how much trust I would get if someone is like, what are you here for? You know, cannibalism. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'm going to take the other guy then. Like, yeah. you know, thanks for your honesty, but I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not rolling that with that. 
Um, you know, he could have maybe said, I killed, you know, I attacked a, a, I disobeyed orders to, you know, attack poor people or something, whatever. Right. But yeah, no, yeah. he, he gives, he gives her the horrible truth unless the truth That's- was way worse. And it was cannibalism. Um, <laughs> so, uh, then there so was another thought. Sorry, did, go ahead. When, when he first confessed that, like, I had a number of mixed reactions because like you, I too liked him because he was, you know, he was friendly. He was the guy saying we can cooperate. He saved, helped save June's life. And all those things make you really feel good about someone. And then you learn he's a rapist. I'm like, I shit. Like, I don't know what to do with that. Maybe he raped a really bad person. And like, I don't know, obviously that is not the case, but I just, I felt conflicted, but I also felt as soon as I read that, it was like, uh uh-oh. Now it is okay for our heroes to kill him because it's okay to kill a rapist in any fiction story. I am strongly upgrading my possibility of Paul not making it out of this scene alive. I figured that, I mean, if he had said his crime was stealing bread to feel his, feed his poor sister, that she would have killed him. Like, I think that she, she would have done whatever made the most sense for her survival chances. Um, yeah, but we would have like thought much less of her for killing someone stealing bread than for killing a rapist. And it's weird because like you know we weren't there for the crime and stuff. Like yeah. what what we were there for was him saying, "Hey, we can cooperate." And he sees a guy struggling on the street. He's like, "Hey, come on in. You can join us." Like he could have left him out there to distract Voltron, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he's been nothing but helpful and cooperative. And then when asked, like, oh, there was another little beat that that was the thing. So you have to have two witnesses and. Amarillo yeah. says, well, that, that's a that's a crime that often goes unpunished these days. My note was like, well, that's a bummer. Um, yeah, it is. Because you need two although, witnesses to a crime like this? Like, how often are there going to be two people watching? I don't know. Sounds fucked. I, I don't accept much. I, I don't expect much better from a monarchy, to be honest. Like, I don't once, know. I mean, you get the impression things were better table, 500 like, years ago, right? Yeah, I don't know. I, I still I still get the feeling that, you know, I, I always think back to uh, Draco threatening to rape someone. To, to oh, threaten yeah. to rape Lou and Lovegood and being like, yeah, well, you know, I'm a noble, she's a peasant. That's the rules just don't apply from nobles to peasants. So whatever. And uh, yeah, I, I always have that in my mind when when there's a monarchy in the in the setting. Valid. Yeah, and so on top of all that bullshit, um, the so she had, she's like, all right, cool. Well, June, uh, any reason I should keep him alive? And he's like, I don't know. He helped me. And then it says, I realized that wasn't exactly true. And I'm like, I feel like that was exactly true. Like, yeah. he didn't, sure, he didn't shoot Voltron for you, but he did offer you sanctuary and like, yeah. you know, wait while you leveled up and cleared the the path to the gas station. Like, it, I mean, other than give you money or a weapon, like, I think he helped, but I don't know exactly what that caveat was for there. It just jumped out at me. But then she asks, like, Paulus, is there any reason you should lo- you should live instead of die? Which, first of all, like, again, Princess is being hardcore here. Like, yeah. all right, any reason, like, this is a, <laughs> I've been watching Kitchen can- Nightmares. <laughs> and when people are getting, like, on the on the block to be sent home, it's two people. And it's like, mm-hmm. and Gordon Ramsay would be like, all right, why do you deserve to stay? Why are you a better chef than that person? And, like, you're basically like, all right. Make convince me the other person should leave and that you should stay. And it's exactly this kind of thing where it's like, can I just say like they're good and I'm good and you know, whatever, but no. Uh, but yeah, Paul, I mean, I get it. He doesn't want to die. And maybe he like feels that his loyalty towards princess is, you know, counts for something, but he just says, you know, I submit that I'd be a better companion than June. And I'm like, well, okay. I'm torn between, you know, what was the line that comes to my head from uh, Terminator two? Fuck you, you little dipshit. And, <laughs> And then I'm like, oh, hell no, I'll kill you myself um, if I was June. But then while he's making his case, 
Zelda's Earth. I keep calling her Zelda in my head. Um, Amaryllis. Opposite end of the alphabet. Amaryllis. Yeah, but it's four syllables. I'm going to say Cyprus. Um, says, uh, she's like, shut up for a moment, which I like as just a, a way of, you know, politely holding up a finger to tell someone to pause for a moment. Shut up for a second. I'm going to talk to this person. All right. So long story short. Um, like She executes his ass. Yeah. Because uh, basically, I, and I don't know if she ever would have taken him or she's just kind of like seeing what kind of character June was. Um, but like he says, yeah, uh, how many, she says, how many souls did you get? And he's like six. And she's, you know, obviously that's impressive because they were all blown away when he said he killed four of the future coterie. And he's like, yeah, I got four from them and two from already corpses. And uh, like, that's badass, right? Yeah. And then it's like, well, we need a seventh. And then just, just pew, or what's the word? Thunk. It doesn't give the the flip noise on this one, but yeah, she just, so what uh, you, yeah. What do you, what do you think about Amaryllis after this execution here? I mean, she's doing what she's got to do. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't give her a hard time for it. And like you said, she also killed somebody who like very arguably doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt. Um, and I'm also not clear like on exactly how this motorcycle works. Like would it only have gone 14 miles an hour with six souls or would it just have failed to start completely? I have no clue. Um, you know, is the, she, is, the, is the amount of souls in the gas tank control its speed or does it just control how far it can go? And she did point out that, like, he was willing to throw you under the bus. I bet if we leave him here, he'd run to the future coterie and try to sell out all the information they have on us to live. I'm like, that's 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 a reasonable argument, but it also seems like a very self-serving argument. Like, I would have preferred to let him go free and take my chances. Assuming the bike worked with six. Yes, that's like true. Like, if, if it didn't, you know, I guess you could walk outside. I think, uh, you know, you could find somebody else to kill, right? But that What's also mean, increases the chances that of just getting got, killed. Well, the girl that just got split in half in the last chapter. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how close she is to zombie Voltron, though. She's probably really close to some zombies. Or, like, you know, maybe maybe even she got subsumed into the, the big body, right? Oh, yeah, that could be. Um. So, yeah, I mean, she might be an option, but in any case... uh. Like like I said, if the if the motorcycle just needs seven and six isn't is merely not like or isn't merely like annoying but fully insufficient, then they need a seventh. And it's like, well, I got to kill somebody. Uh, I could see her going for it. Like the it's it's interesting because I think what did I put? I said so. There's thunk, and then I said, damn. So ends Paul, the calm, cooperative, convicted rapist. I'd sort of guessed he'd be the seventh soul, but it's the sad end. It sucks. He turns to be be a little conniving and a lot evil, but uh, he just. You know, he was just not wanting to die and perhaps serve his princess. Like, I thought he was being genuine. Um, yeah. and, I, and I'm with you, like her self-serving, like, oh, he would have turned on me. And it's like, he like prostrated himself on the fo- floor before you and never begged for his life. Like, you know, he he put it in your judgment, right? Like, yeah. I, I think that if you told him, hey, go make a distraction for us, he would have. Um, she's, you know, yeah. g- give me all your weapons and go be, go be a, a meat distraction. Yeah, she's definitely being kind of like the stone cold badass here. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I almost want to say like the the straw Vulcan kind of, you know, caricature of rationalist where she's like, yep, I don't have emotions. I am weighing the, the various options and this is the better one. And then I'm just going to do it. Hmm. Like, I mean, I, 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 to, to add to that, there's a a little later on in the chapter. uh, She asks June, do you trust me? And he says, yes. She says, then you're an idiot. Hmm. Do you realize that I sent you to your death when I asked you to go retrieve those souls? It's a profound miracle that you returned with them. I knew that when I sent you out, I knew that when I sent you out, but I coded my words in hope and honey. You have no reason to trust me. So, yeah, was she just kind of like sending him away so she can continue on her 
on her tinkering and, you know, crafting without being bothered. And, you know, on the off chance, he actually comes back with souls. Yahtzee, that's a bonus, but her main, op- her main objective was just to get him killed. Yeah, that's weird, right? I mean, I guess there's no reason for her to make up a, a negative lie like that. But, like, it, what was her plan? Just hole up in the garage? Like, she apparently needed these to power the bike. Yeah. So, you know, I maybe should have gone and got him herself, but that sounds dangerous. Um, you know, she can't recover her wounds like he can. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, the, like, I, I think that there's... I don't. I, I luckily I don't get like a straw balcony because like I find that that trope super annoying. I get like hardened badass rather than like uh, coldly calculating. I mean, there's that too. That's part of being a hardened badass. But like whatever, distant and unemotionally calculating, right? Alien, okay. uh, alien level of detachment. I don't get that. I get that she cares about stuff. Um, okay. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's enough to that- set her aside from the spockiness in my head. Yeah, I think the difference is like the the Straw Vulcan literally doesn't have emotions, whereas the hardened badass has those emotions deep inside, but is covering them up with, you know, a thick layer of calluses and scars and doing what's got to be done. Exactly. She'll share, she'll shed a single tear in a brainstorm after somebody important dies, and uh, <laughs> that'll show us all that she wasn't a robot the whole time. There was a, there was a line that I just kind of wanted to throw out that uh, she's like, okay, yeah, I couldn't have him couldn't have this Paul guy run off and tell the coterie about us or where I might be going dot, dot, dot. And who I was with. And I'm like, why would he care? Like, why, why would, why would the coterie care who you're with? And like, I don't know. I don't know what, what to mean of that. Like, other than like, I had a companion, but either maybe, like maybe, uh, if June did exist in this world before he started his cutscene on the plane, like maybe this person that he is is actually somebody important, but she asked who he was when he walked in. So that can't be it. Um, maybe that was just her way of trying to say, you know, you're being served by this too, because the future coterie would also be gunning for you if he told them. That's a good point. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that's satisfactory. Cause my, my like, wait, does she recognize him as somebody like, you know, they can't know I'm with the Duke or something. And it's like, well, why didn't you say Duke? It's you when you, when I came in the door. So yours <laughs> right. makes a lot more sense. All right. So, uh, I did put that, I pulled up the same thing about the, I would have killed you. And he says, June thinks to himself, I hadn't thought of that at all. I'm like, me either. Is it because like we and June are aware that he's the protagonist? Uh, but it didn't even yeah, cross yeah. my mind that she would attempt to fuck him over. Um, yeah, oh no, this is different that, than the sent you to your death. This is the, I could have killed you when you walked back. in. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, what is it? Um, you would, oh yeah. On some level, she said, uh, when you came back here on some level before you like came back and opened the door, you had considered the worst case option where I killed you as soon as you came through the door. And he says, I hadn't thought of that at all. Like just to himself, he doesn't say it to her. And like you hadn't thought of that either. And uh, I also had not even slightly considered that. I was and, not paranoid enough. An exclamation point was my final yeah. note there. Yeah, I think um, upon further reflection, like I didn't think about it at the time because again, I was just reading fast through it, but on recollection, on reflection, I think it's because, like, from the way the story is set up, we all think of her as a quest giver, not like a normal human in a normal situation. And in games, quest givers don't kill you for doing their quests. They they give you a reward, or you know, worst case scenario, they just say thanks and okay, you got sent on a mission and you got some XP while you were doing it. But they never murder you. And uh, thinking. Like thinking that this was a video game instead of that this is, you know, kind of real life could have gotten him killed. He had a potentially deadly blind spot by assuming she was a quest giver rather than thinking, you know, like how a human might 
think about being in this sort of situation? Yeah, it's, you know, it, it it's going to be hard for him to straddle that, like, uh, this, to straddle those two worlds, right? Name of the quest. Because, um, like, you know, he, he's earning points and skills. He's getting dialogue boxes popping up. You know, he, he plays around his character sheet that he can see in his head. And then it's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with people and stuff. It makes it all very easy, I imagine, to get twisted up in. But, yeah, there it was. So then what is she doing? Uh, just like getting ready to get on the bike or something. And I just pulled up this line where it's, he says, my mind had drifted while she was, t- while she talked as my eyes focused on the flawless curve of her collarbone. And like, it's just, it, it's just reminding us. Cause I don't, I'm not keeping this mind whatsoever with the character. Like, Oh yeah, she's crazy pretty. So there's, there's handfuls of references to it, but I just pulled out, I think it's like an archer quote. Like, I'm sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of the material of my pants straining. Um, <laughs> Thank you. That's why I bothered to bring all that up because it was funny. Oh, they're talking about dream skewered stuff. All that. Yeah. Yeah. So now we get to talk about souls because now we find out what souls are and uh, that there is an afterlife. And he asks her, where do people go when they die? Yes. Oh, I actually thought that was awesome. They go to hell. Right. That was actually kind of cool because so that was what solidified like her. Okay. He's not a spy and he's definitely dream skewered because he seemed like put out that I was going to destroy these souls. And she's like, that more than literally anything revealed your complete ignorance of how this shit works. And she's like, we know where people go when they die. They go to the one of the 9,000 layers of hell. Um, and our infernoscopes can penetrate only down to the 5,000th hell. And I was like, that's fucking metal. Um, okay, so this obviously raises lots and lots of questions. Uh, first and foremost, how do they know there's 9,000 if their infernoscopes can only see 5,000 deep? Um, maybe it's just because he didn't want anyone to make those over 9,000 jokes over 9,000. It's over 9,000. Oh God. Uh, are you too young Nine, to know that joke? Uh, well, when you put it that way, uh, oh, okay, no, okay. I, I just, I just live under a rock. You have to explain the joke for our young audience. Uh, it's an old dragon ball Z thing where Vegeta, oh, uh, yeah, sees yeah, still, Goku's yeah. power level going over 9,000 and yells at th- about that. Yeah. I'm not too young for dragon ball Z. Um, okay okay I, I was just believe it or not that was the one thing i was too cool for as a kid um yeah i'm kidding well, it's mainly there's like what fifteen thousand episodes and i don't have time to get through it all so there are i actually watched very little dragon ball z just a few episodes here and there but like i knew the over nine thousand thing because it's it over became 9, a big meme yeah yeah and then 4chan managed to get oprah to say it on her show which was great oh that's amazing yeah, she she read a letter on on her show that was sent to her by a supposed pedophile organization, and it was 4chan, of course. Yeah, but they said we have over nine thousand penises ready to rape your children. <laughs> she read wow. it online like it was the most serious thing, and you know they just had a party after that came out, and tons of remixes of her saying over nine thousand with Vegeta thrown in, and yeah, it was it was good shit. I had never been part of a trolling community, but that has to be very satisfying. Yeah, the closest I've been in, in part of a trolling community is on Wall Street bets, and the most trolly thing they did, other than fuck the stock market, uh, big big wigs, <laughs> was last weekend they donated seventy seven thousand dollars to a gorilla organiz- or to a gorilla preservation organization because uh, like it's not trolly at all. Well, no, that's the thing. It's the good natured kind of trolly that I like. They they all they call each other apes and monkeys and stuff on there, so they're like, let's give money to apes. Um, anyway, so. All right, I had another question about, I mean, lots of questions, all the questions about the soul business, but yes. um, so. But that I, question that you had at the very top is a very interesting question. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll leave that one right for a quick nitpick, which there isn't an answer to. Like, I'm desperately curious what one does. To, there's over nine thousand. That's hilarious. That's probably the reason there's nine thousand. Um, so uh, I'm desperately curious what it takes for someone to land in hell four thousand five hundred sixty one, and another person to land in hell four thousand five hundred sixty two. Like, show me the differences in their lives. Also, I guess we haven't even had it demonstrated or touched upon that it's that's a um that it's like a punishment for sin it could right. just be yeah, a complete I mean, yahtzee you know exactly uh, it, it, it yeah. could just be like every demon sets up their own little hell and uh they assign the souls on a lottery system or just you know go down the list or something they call dibs yeah yeah that sucks I mean, actually that, that- yeah, that would make uh, hell even worse if it was like you couldn't be a better person to get to a better hell. It was just totally random. Yeah, that that now that I think about it, that is more fucked up and therefore more likely, I think, um, yeah. for that to be the case that there's that there's no organization based on what you do in life. Uh, so then I was thinking, okay, uh, assuming that her very self-serving uh, or like the the world's self-serving rational rational uh, rationalization that. Um, just you know using a soul for stuff whether it's to power your motorcycle or something else like oh no actually what that does is you use it and it doesn't go to hell and since we know everyone goes to hell we're actually doing a good thing um all right so we'll we'll take a look at that in a second but i'm just thinking would you pick oblivion over a random shot out of one nine out of one of nine thousand hells so i mean she said the very best one is only slightly better than comfort uh the town they're in right now and comfort doesn't seem too terrible but it get really boring after ten thousand years yeah and also you know like so far they've been really lucky Uh, if if he didn't have the leveling up thing right now he would have a broken arm and a twisted ankle and probably be getting munched on by zombies and that seems like a pretty bad kind of hell uh even if he wasn't getting munched on by zombies like broken arm and twisted ankle and always being in fear for your life isn't isn't a great way to live like the thing is i guess your question is would i choose oblivion over hells and i think yeah like when i was at the the worst um worst state uh well okay there's been several times in my life where i've been emotionally so bad that i wanted to die and even like when i've been in physical pain like uh after my back surgery you know, it's it's fine because you know you're going to get better. You can get through temporary pain without a problem or, you know, without too much problem. The fact that it's going to get better is a big thing. But, like, if if I knew that was going to be the entire rest of my life, I would rather not be alive. And, you know, like, hell would be even worse because it's not just the entire rest of your life. It's the entire rest of eternity. So I would absolutely um, want to have oblivion rather than hell with the one minor complicating factor that if i'm june i am apparently the chosen destined hero and maybe there's a chance i can level up while in hell and fight my way out of hell (laughs) so so maybe it's not actually eternal damnation for me but uh so that would make me that would make me on the fence again but if i wasn't june then yeah i'd I'd rather be destroyed how about yeah i I hadn't thought about it from June's perspective. I like when you put that in my mind, I guess I'm thinking like, I, I don't think June would go to hell if he dies. Like, I don't think that he has a soul like these people have. Uh, oh. Like, I mean, he he's not from around here. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, maybe maybe they one. have soul scanners. Like, you know, they have at airports, you know, if you have metal on you beeps, you know, maybe they have one of those at some places and we'll get confirmation one way or another. But um, yeah, no, I, I would pick oblivion in a hot second. I would pick oblivion over living on earth. Like, uh, you know, minus the zombies, 
um, for literally forever. Like, don't get me wrong. I would, I would live on earth as it is now for, uh, I don't know, many, many tens or hundreds of thousands of years, but I'd want to, I want, I'd want the worlds to get into a better state where like the prospect of, of, you know, billions of years actually seemed fun. Um, and I feel like, I feel like we could, I feel like we could grow there over the, over the, you know, over the course of the future. But if I was told, nope, it's going to stay exactly like it was yesterday forever. I'm like, well, that sounds forever is a long time. Hmm. Hmm. So, like, Interesting. I mean, I don't get wrong. I could possibly deal with, I mean, obviously not being locked down coronavirus land, but assuming that I was immortal, I wouldn't have to worry about coronavirus. <laughs> so I could go back to my life as it was before. I, I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, okay. Forever is a very long time. I would want the option to, and if I ever got very bored, but considering how imperfect our memories are, I figure after like a couple billion years, I might start to forget like the movies I saw in my first billion or I, I, I would, I know it would probably end up like me being sort of a loop living the same billion years over and over. Cause I keep forgetting stuff and that's certainly not ideal, but that doesn't sound too bad think, actually. Yeah. I still think that's preferable to, to being wiped out. Yeah, and when I phrase it that way, like there's no way that it's impossible for me to imagine like the universe, the the Earth as it is, staying this way with no discernible differences for ten thousand years, right? Um, now, maybe I could I could phrase that differently and get an easier answer. If I was Groundhog Daying and I was told you can Groundhog Day forever, or I could pull you out of the loop and throw you into oblivion, I'd probably take oblivion. Um, well, the problem with Groundhog Day is that you're eternally alone because you're the only one who keeps the memories, and that is. That yeah, is that a sucks. form of torture in itself. Yeah. yeah. On the other hand, if you're Groundhogging Day and everybody was Groundhogging Daying, that might be better. You could talk about like that crazy shit you did yesterday when you crashed the plane. You could coordinate like a globally wide like. All right, everyone, you know, pull the pins of your hand to grenades in three, two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Remember when we blew up the Earth with hand grenades? <laughs> yeah. All right, we had fun there. Um, yes. So they're talking about that. There was this bit about how like june pulls out and then i like you you put you related this to um uh monsters inc which i hadn't seen so apparently in that they they what they use children's screams to like fuel their i'm assuming alternate dimension or something uh it's basically like an electric power plant that instead of burning coal they have children's screams and that gives them all the energy they need to run their society that's what i guess in however many thousands of years they've never figured out that uh if you make a child laugh instead of scream uh it produces like 100 times the energy of a of a scream and so at the end of the movie they just all uh change to making children laugh at night instead of making them scream and they're so much richer and the children are better off and just everything's better and that is extremely convenient for the movie because you know you don't have to worry about like well if we make children not scream anymore, like making children scream is mean, but if we don't do that, we go back to the fucking dark ages where we're shitting in pots in our house and then throwing <laughs> that into the alleys in the mornings. Whereas uh, uh, this way, there's there's no problem. Like the the thing that is morally right to do is also the thing that is better for everyone. So, yay. And and that sounds uh, suspiciously self-serving. And he recognizes that about the soul business. That, yeah, that the, um, the most moral thing to do is to destroy these souls and power our technology seems very convenient in the same way. Right. And uh, you also pulled out that, uh, quote, most of the dream skewered believe that there's an afterlife which exists wait, as a... Re- Sorry. Yeah. Well, before we get to that, I just wanted to say, while that is kind of convenient, it's also... 
I don't know. It's it could be a thing because like it's pretty convenient that in our world, clean drinkable water falls out of the sky fairly regularly in most of the places that are settled anyway. So uh, sometimes I think just that, convenient things are a fact of life. Sure. I mean, you might say it's more convenient that like we can turn water into lots of energy and it's everywhere. Um, but like the yeah. fact that drinkable water falls from the sky is like isn't the same kind of convenience. That's like that's like anthropically true. Otherwise, we would have evolved to drink whatever else falls out of the sky, or just this wouldn't be a planet with life on it, right? Well, yeah, sure. So, like that 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 one at least makes sense. Um, yeah. The 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 idea that um, like it's convenient that thorium is plentiful and uh, cannot be used to make nuclear weapons, but can be used to power the entire planet. So it's that's also- nice. Yeah, it's also another. Uh, this one also sounds suspiciously convenient. If anyone really stood to benefit from like everyone on Earth going vegetarian, but like the fact that it takes way more food to feed a, a livestock animal than it does to like just consume the food yourself, um, mm-hmm. we 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 could save several orders of magnitude amounts of food if everyone just ate vegetarian. And as a byproduct of that, we'd have way less tortured animals. And so, like, that, that's, that's almost suspiciously self-serving if, like, I got a dollar every time someone turned into a, vegan, a vegetarian, right? Yeah. I don't know if that's the case for, like, I don't know the case about how that goes for chickens and pigs. But I know that for cows, for the most part, they're herded across land that isn't really usable for agriculture. And the vast majority of the weight they put on is just, you know, using that land for grazing, which couldn't have been used for anything else. They are fattened up at the end with grain, but that's not that big a part of their uh, their total calorie consumption i think it's it's not just that like we're feeding them like food that we could just directly put into our mouths it's that like the energy and effort that we put into manufacturing their food um and i'm not sure about yeah, chickens and put- pigs either but just like you know from a thermodynamics perspective if we're raising a chicken uh to be a year old or something i don't know they have to be to eat like and i how, how many how many meals is a chicken two so like so I know I know in the pre-industrial societies like again not sure about factory farming uh, the reason people kept livestock was because they would take calories that humans could not eat like you know grass on the prairie or the leftover shit you have uh, that you can't digest and they would feed it to animals that could digest it and uh, those animals would turn unusable calories into usable calories once we killed the animals and ate them so it was sort of like recycling program yeah, uh, and again, that's that's pre-industrial when people did not eat a lot of meat and had those scraps tossed to their livestock. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're throwing food out the window, it's a different situation. But we're spending too much time on that. Uh, yes, I was, we just, are. I was trying to think of suspiciously convenient things. Um, yeah. Which, like this one and the Monsters Inc. one, I think is a great example. Like yes. this, this is like, I mean, sure, we're we're destroying their souls, but and it, and it gives us tons of energy. But really, it's helping them. Like that sounds, yeah. you know, that sounds almost too good to be true. Um, you know, I, I can't wait to see how this fucks everyone when we find out what exactly go, is going on, but I bet it's not so neat and pretty. Um, or maybe it is. And it's just that that's also horrible in its own way. Right. Yeah. All right. So you wanted to pull out too, that, uh, most of the dream skewered believe that there's an afterlife, which exists as reward and no one and one, which exists as a punishment. So like, yes. uh, as I, this doesn't count as again, as a real prediction, but as like, I bet she's a scholar of the, um, the dream skewered. And apparently she knows enough about them that uh, it says most of the dream skewered believe that there's an afterlife and it's the standard, you know, theology that, that is popular on earth. Um, I guess yeah, where there's a good one and a bad one. Yeah. And, you know, conceit for the story, it seems like either they all speak English or they, you know, we have uh, 
a variety of languages on Arab as well um, that happen to match up with English. But why wouldn't they? I don't know. Uh, well, I'm since guessing they're dream skewered, they probably speak Arabic or <laughs> Arabian, whatever whatever their local language is. Once they uh, join this world, well, June hasn't remarked that he's saying things that sound different, like what he said on Earth. Yeah, um, I'm guessing that they'll just speak whatever language June or possibly uh, Arthur speak. Right? They speak English, uh, but anyway, well, if, yeah, uh, yeah. You're you're saying uh, does this mean that they're a representative sample pulled randomly from Earth? Yeah, because uh, that, I mean, it sounds like what she's saying, most dream skewered are theists. And uh, that seems to match with, like, if they're just randomly pulled representationally from Earth, then uh, they would mostly be theists rather than, I'm assuming most of June's friends would have beliefs similar to his. So does this mean it is just random people pulled from Earth or what? Yeah, I, you know, it's hard to say. I can't wait to meet the next dream skewered. Um, it's like, there's also the possibility that only one dream skewered exists at a time. Um, she said when she said that there are, there have been perhaps a thousand, I can't remember if it was, there have been, or there are perhaps a thousand. Um, it was, there, I think it's have I been. Think she said it was, there have been. Yeah. So like maybe it's one at a time, but certainly if it's been going on for hundreds of years or whatever, and we get the impression that this, that this world is at least 500 years old, um, or set up to be, you know, whatever Russell's, uh, thought experiment. But, um, like, if you if you roll back the clock five hundred years, you're way more likely to find theists uh, than you are today, and they're still pretty damn likely. So, uh, no surprise that they're all that they're overwhelmingly theistic. Um, but that oh, does imply that they're randomly pulled from Earth, right? Uh, maybe. I mean, it. It's. I suppose. Like, I think that. Uh, I don't know where you would have found non-theists five hundred years ago, right? Right. I just mean like if they were all pulled from from June's peer group or even just from like people in the uh in the US around the time June was alive, they'd have a fair bit more theists or a fair bit more uh non-theistic people. Oh yeah, I had my galaxy brain thing that uh um all of the people here were Oh yeah, so th- this does negate half of my uh like my crazy galaxy brain thing that I had later on, which was that um Arthur made this world, not June. And I said, farther up the ladder, the thousand dream skewered are all people Arthur met or crossed paths with on Earth. And June is here because he died in English class. So I was thinking like, maybe Arthur made this world and the thousand or so dream skewered were just people that he happened, like anyone he ever touched in his life or something. Um, oh, you know, like, well, in that case, it does, probably would be, be a most threat. atheist, right? Well, you know, unless it's all, you know, his, his, his maybe. It's hard to say. Um, I, I guess I would I think mean- that you know, it, your, your odds of getting mostly theists in 2021 are less than they were 500 years ago. Um, but I do it's want to render that like, as my as my insane prediction that Arthur made this world, not June. But as separate but related, I like the idea that the thousand dream skewered were people that that he met or crossed paths with. Not like his friends, because, you know, nobody has a thousand friends at age 20, right? Or Certainly not a thousand who have died. Um, yeah. And so I'm thinking anybody he met who's died in his, in, in his whole life. Uh, that they all wound up here. But even that sounds like it's stretching it quite a bit, you know, especially because they grew up in Bumblefuck, Kansas, not in New York, where like, if it was literally anybody he saw, then I could believe that. Um, you know, if you live in New York for 20 years, uh, you're going to see a lot of people. So, all right. Yeah. To be fair, Bumblefuck, Kansas probably has a higher theist rate than New York City does. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, we'll have to see what the, I, I, I'm, I'm eager, wherever this goes, I'm eager to meet the, uh, um, the next dream skewered whenever they come up. So, um, basically, so he's trying to demonstrate like, look, I'm not crazy. Uh, you know, I, 
these aren't delusions. Oh, wait, we didn't talk about the gods yet. No, we didn't. They mentioned that too. Okay, yeah. Oh, right, so there, I, like I said, there's a lot to talk about in the first chapter here. Um, mm-hmm. And I love how he just, he doesn't even fuck around with it. Um, he's like, okay, how do I explain this? Because she's surprised that he's not, the, you know, that he doesn't believe in an afterlife. And he's like, well, I don't believe in souls. But like, now that you told me they're real, I am given to understand that that fucking with them is a bad thing to do. And she's like, okay, uh, you know, where do you believe people go when they die? And he's like, look, uh, some people on earth are religious. It's, do you guys have those? She's like, organizations around the gods? Yeah, totally. And rather than like finish his train of thought, he immediately is like, hold up. Dude, literal gods exist on Arab. Literal in the sense of incontrovertible evidence of their actual presence, not just natural phenomena attributed to them. And he's worried because he's like, I've been thinking Lovecraftian monsters. And uh, then we get a really cool answer. She says, there are five gods. Um, Yes. There are literal gods and they know how many of them there are. She met three of them in the flesh. Which is bad fucking ass. Right. So, I mean, unless these people are just walking around, the gods, I mean, like meeting them sounds tight. Like you have to be a, you know, I imagine them, you know, on the top of the highest peak of the highest mountain, right? Uh, It's got to be this, this impossible quest, one might say, to get to them. And she's seen three. Um, That sounds cool. So I'm eager to see where all that goes. You know, are they, do they cooperate? So it's too small to be the Greek pantheon, but can it, is, are they, is this a, a competing world where the gods are all arguing for stuff? Did they build it and then just like want to be left alone? Lots to, lots to think about there. And luckily I'm assuming we're going to get answers because you don't get quests, hopefully that don't get finished. And he gets the quest, God botherer. <laughs> Perfect. Um, do you, so you, you did say that you don't get quests that don't get finished. You do sometimes in games, though. If you, you finish the game before you finish the quest. Yeah. So you don't you don't necessarily have to finish all the quests. Uh, you know, if I'm closing in on the end of what... If I'm closing in on what feels like the end of a game, and I have a, I have a quest that I haven't tapped yet called God Botherer, I'm going to go <laughs> look at that quest before I, before I enter the final dungeon, you know? I mean, sure, you probably would in a video game, but on the other hand, if every single quest is an actual chance to be killed maybe you want to finish the game or something rather than risk your life for some of the less important quests. Like, I mean, I'm assuming God Botherer is a pretty important quest because there's a fucking God in it, but there could be some quests that you would just skip over if each one has a possibility of killing you. Yeah, I, maybe. I don't know if I could pass that one up. I, my curiosity might literally kill me. Right. And I mean, just speaking personally as an atheist, like a God Botherer quest would be high on my list of let's get this one done. Well, even if it's just like, you know, maybe they don't suck. I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing here? Oh, we keep the demons at bay. We're why, we're why there's only 9,000 hells and not 90,000 hells, right? Yeah. Like, maybe they're nice. Or maybe they are mm-hmm. maybe they suck. You know, it, The only one way to find out is to go bother one. Um, right. All right. So I like this a lot. Uh, he's, I can't remember exactly the context where he's trying to demonstrate that he has proof. Um, uh, oh, it's the, tr- the, this is the trust thing. Um, and She's like, well, then you're an idiot for trusting me. He's like, I told you that I can see things. Like, you're listed as a companion in my character sheet. And she's like, ah. And I just imagine her kind of like, okay. You know, I wish I had a cell phone to call the nice people in white coats to, you know, come escort you from my presence. But he's like, I have proof. Next time time you're at a club, try that as a line. (laughs) Hey, baby, you're listed as a a companion on my character sheet. When I close my eyes. Um, (laughs) Yes. Speaking of, so he uses his level his level up to literally flex to, for his waifu Zelda, and I realize I'm being flippant there, but it was just funny when that occurred to me. Um, like, you know, I mean, he he 
maybe it was already committed to using to investing in physical, but like, I don't think he gave this one that much thought. He's just like, well, I can show her. And it's like a very minor change, uh, but he, he burns through a level to show her like, look, I'm slightly taller and, and, and stronger now, but it does succeed in blowing her mind, which, uh, I would have thought, you know, that sounds like an earned achievement. Um, this has to be the first time he's literally blown someone's mind since he got here. I would have given an achievement for that, but I didn't write the game. So, uh, like, I don't know, achievement unlocked jaw dropper, right? Uh, he blew the mind of those two people when he leveled in, up in front of them with the golden light. They're both dead now. Paul I, think, I think they were surprised and confused. She was like, I've seen that before, but only like a god did it. Yeah. And so I think that that her mind is more blown. Yeah. Um, he, when he asks, where did you see that trick before? She says, the god of sea and ice. So in, that's awesome. Vr- in Vrizen. Yeah. And can we just, can I, well, we, I, can I just say right now how much sense that makes? Like, if she saw the god of sea and ice do that, that means it's possible the god of sea and ice leveled up in front of her, which means June could be a mind whammy god. Which, in my opinion, as soon as I read that, I was like, that explains so much. Maybe he's one of the five gods, he pissed off the other four, and they're like, we gotta teach him a lesson, we'll drop him back down to level one, erase his memory, make him immortal, do the little dream skewer thing on him, and he will learn a lesson, like Thor, in the Thor movie, right? The first one? Now you've got my attention. <laughs> right? He he will learn a lesson by uh, going through these trials and getting back up to level 20, um, which was the max level in D&D, or whatever the max level is in this world. And, uh, like, that would explain a lot. That would explain why he has the uh, game overlay when no one else does, because it is specifically a thing that the gods get. Hmm. It's interesting. It hadn't really occurred to me that literally anyone else had the uh, the game overlay. I figured the gods could could change their shape at will because they're gods. Um, it, it could be that they, you know, used that the, the I'm going to just say Poseidon used, because whatever the other name is too complicated for me to remember. Um, like, it could be that Poseidon used a level up in front of her to flex or something. And yet, I mean, it's it's possible if she's half as pretty to everyone else as she is to him, then, you know, it might be worth it just to, you know, try and Zeus her. But um, or maybe the like the gods, once they have their memory back and reallocate stat points at will or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Um, I was just thinking like, oh, yeah, gods can change their shape at will. Right. Again, Zeus. Oh. When I said Zeus her, I meant, you know, sleep with her because Zeus did that with everybody, including right. swans. And so, yeah. like, you know, he would change his, he would change the shape to be that of a swan, and then so he could bed one. Um, well, no, 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 no. He changed his shape into a swan so he could sleep with a human woman. I missed that part of that in my memory. Why was they that more enticing than just turning into Henry Cavill or something? Fucking Greeks, dude. Uh, you, you'd never know what Greek women are, are into. <laughs> that long swan neck. All right. Well, <laughs> exactly. All right. Shaking that out of my brain for a minute. Um <laughs> Oh, the other thing about the level up is that this counts as weak evidence against my everyone's an NPC thing. Um, it doesn't disprove it, but it's evidence against it. NPCs don't notice like stat buffs. I don't think like I don't think they would see you level up and be impressed, right? That's true. I've you never know. had one comment on it in a game. Me either. Um, not even in a tabletop game. So, right. <laughs> whoa, did you just get taller? Yeah, the mind to God is interesting. I that that's fun, and that'd be really cool if that's where this goes. I for me, I'm just thinking like. You know they're gods in a in a world, and he's. I still think he's the only p- person with a character sheet and a game overlay. Um, but it would be cool if the gods worked that way too. Like I don't know, you know, especially too if they do the rest of the Konami code. I'm going to mention that when he gets there, but yeah. he only does the first half. Um, 
if they do the rest and they can unlock, you know, everything that like see everyone's stats and look at them, they're like, oh, hey, dude, yeah, you you play. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll see. Uh, we both pulled out the quote about like when they're leaving, she's showing him the uh, the um, whatever void bombs. Yeah, the bag of bombs. And she's just like, these are void bombs. They are very, they're extremely dangerous. And he's like, oh, that must be why someone threw one at me. And skill increased. Comedy level one. Just, just that's delightful. It having is. those things in the, in here. Yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't put it on the, sh- on the note sheet here. Cause I just noticed on my second read through, but later on he allocates points, uh, because he's worried that he can't make up for a lack of cunning, uh, like literal cunning by being really good at the skills under cunning. And so that seems to suggest that he's just fully adopted the idea that he can't be good at something that's not in his character sheet. And yet, like, that seems uh, like it makes sense for physical stuff. You know, he's noticed it physically. I'd be curious what it's like to notice it mentally. But like, he seems to be pretty cunning already. Um, Then again, actually, maybe he's just kind of he's he's kind of not stupid, I guess. Maybe he's not doing anything particularly clever yet. Um, Maybe as he ups his cunning. Yeah. You know, you know, so how sometimes you have moments where like something is just on the edge of your brain, like a word or something, and you can't quite grasp it, and it's really annoying. Oh yeah, maybe like if you level up your intellect, you have those less and less. Yeah, and you're able to, you know, see connections between things, you know, until you get all the way to level ten, and then you're basically Sherlock, right? Um, right. It's it's possible, but I guess like he says that he can't make up for a lack of cunning, and I'm like, dude, you can still sit and think. Like the physical stuff, I get. You know, I guess maybe he could test this by like lifting weights and seeing if he gets any stronger but that'll take longer than investing more points but like i feel like you can make up for a lack of cunning with careful thinking and you know i i I guess i'm really curious to see what it's like to have uh cunning be a stat that you just you put points into rather than like a thing that you develop and the reason i thought of this now is because comedy is level one does that mean that like there's no joke he could have told before that would have gotten a laugh yeah i don't know that, that's a real I question. I don't know. I mean, granted, Maybe a lot the of the earth humor wouldn't laugh or wouldn't land, but they're, yeah. they're, they're, I don't know. I'm really curious. And once he hits comedy level 16, you know, is he just going to be able to, you know, cut up everybody he, he cracks a joke to? Well, a lot of comedy is, you know, first of all, not just ha- having a joke, but being able to deliver it well, um, delivered convincingly. A lot of it is like knowing your audience and how to play to them. There's... There's a lot of social aspects that go into being good at comedy, and maybe yeah. I don't know how the game would make him better at those. Um, I mean, I can see how, I can see how the game would make him better at social stuff. It's just like I can't believe that at zero comedy, there's no joke that could get a laugh. So I'm, I guess maybe that's not the point. Well, okay, maybe, so, maybe it makes so getting he, a laugh easier. Here's the thing about the skills thing, and this comes down a little bit further in the uh, in the chapter, but I'm going to just pull it up right here since we're talking about it. Uh, he's talking about when he's going to be shooting people at a long distance from the back of a moving motorcycle, uh, that he has a rifle skill of zero. And he says, I had gone hunting almost every fall since I was 10 years old. The rifle, the rifle that Amaryllis had built was different from those, but how the game layer interpreted me to have zero skill with rifles in general. And how did the game layer interpret that? And like, he's mentioned at least twice before that knowledge of two is bullshit. I should have a higher knowledge stat than that. And and it's true. Like, if you've shot rifles every freaking fall since you were ten years old, you should have a higher average rifle skill than the average person. Average and, zero, like a zero score tells me you don't know what end the bullets come out of. Exactly. And so, like, the more I think about that, the more I think that. 
the game layer is built for him specifically. Like, everything starts at the base of either zero or two, whether it's a skill or a stat, and that just says that's what you level you were in when you entered this world. We're just going to call it zero, and everything that you earn in this world is going to give you a bonus on top of that. So if he had come in being like, you know, a military-level sniper, he'd still be at zero, and he would just get better and better. Or if he came in, like, not knowing which end the bullet comes out of, it would still be zero, and he would get better and better. But, like, a level 100 starting as military sniper would be a better shot than a level 100 if you started as and never touched a gun before, you know? Like, it seems like it's specifically made to be using him as the baseline rather than comparing him to other people in the game, which makes me think maybe other people in the game don't have any stats. Yeah, I don't think other people on the game are work- in, in the world are working on stats. I'm not sure about the, you know, being for him personally, because, like, it seems like he is good at these things. But you're saying that, like, I don't know, I, I, I take it to mean that it just... It look. It also fits that him just being a default character who didn't get to allocate his own initial stats, right? Like, yep, even distribution down the line. And yeah, maybe, but he definitely doesn't have an even distribution in like rifles versus uh, one-handed weapons. Like, no, but, he, but he, he, he does. Got... But his but his character does. That, but his like character his character, is him. his character sheet does. I mean, right? Like his yes, his... character sheet does. But he himself knows how to shoot a rifle pretty decently. That's why I'm confused about the comedy thing and the cunning thing, right? Yeah, well, those yeah. those are just the the zero arbitrary zero is like that's just what we call what you have right now. And if it was compared to everyone in the world, maybe you would have like comedy four and rifle seven or something. But we're just starting as baseline zero for you, and as you get better, we will give you bonuses for it to to what you already have. Could be, could be. We'll see where that like goes. It, to to me, that like supports the mind whammied god theory because the other gods, you know just start him at that and then slowly let him have extra god bonuses to his natural skills as he levels up but i don't know that is that is now my personal little pet theory all right we'll hold on to that okay before we continue to the next thing uh, i wanted to say that we are given information on how void stuff works uh amaryllis tells him that a void grenade when it goes off will go through six inches of flesh and bone or half an inch of steel or 500 feet of air which uh does seem to mean that it just gets rid of of mass, I guess. And the denser it is, the the less far it can go into it. But it gets rid of the same amount of mass no matter what. And also means that uh, like the void guns have an effective range of, I mean, at most four hundred ninety nine feet. But uh, <laughs> practically speaking, less than that because it doesn't matter much if you just burn off the top layer of someone's skin. It seems like uh, I mean that's how that's the range on the void bomb, right? Void weapons could have different ranges depending on how they're calibrated. Like, you know, oh. you know, maybe yeah, if you a have a special point. barrel with, you know, so like those are her bombs too. Maybe they're level one bombs do 500 feet, level five do, you know, 5,000 feet. Yeah. I, I sort of doubt that it's that linear because you'd be kind of fucked if, if anyone who could craft a little could destroy a city. But um, I don't know. The, the other thing too is he said at that moment that uh, this, like he said, this, his guess about it being, uh, um, about it being mass related turned out to be true. I don't remember him making that guess at all. I don't either, but I may have just missed it because I was reading fast. Or maybe he just thought it without thinking it to us at some point, which is totally fine. That's possible. Uh, not something I'd like to see a thousand times in the story, but you yeah. know, little things like that can totally happen. Um, and so they're, then they're like, all right, let's ride. And they jump on the motorcycle, which I would, had hoped when they were like describing it before that had like a little sidecar. 
Um, but you know, like, like the little, you know, where you've got your dog with the goggles and the, in the little buggy <laughs> on the side. Yeah. I was hoping he'd be no, a little he's buggy. He's just riding on the back. Yeah. He's just riding on the back. Um, and they have a actual term for that pillion, I guess, is the real word for it. I've always just called it, heard it called, um, now I feel awkward saying it, but the, <laughs> the term I've heard is called, uh, riding bitch. That's the term I've heard as well. Uh, yeah. And I, I guess motorcycle guys are not exactly the most, um, sexually progressive and uh that's my bitch sitting on the back so yeah i also don't know that i've spoken to anyone who owned a motorcycle uh like well no i I probably have but i haven't i haven't known anyone well who owned a motorcycle in at least 10 years so i have a good friend who owns a motorcycle okay well i'll have to tell him the proper term for the back although he probably knows it um Uh, it is a she and i don't know i'll ask what I just revealed my sexism. I assumed it was a guy. Oh, no, no, I, I don't know. Whatever. Well, in my defense of uh, there's no defense. Uh, I was I was. I, I don't think you're sexist, biased. dude. Whatever. Well, it, it's a thing. Literally, everyone I've known who's owned a motorcycle was a guy. So all two of them. <laughs> How dare you, you sexist pig! I didn't know. You know, I don't know a lot of motorcycle people. Um, all right. Yeah. And when I picture motorcycle I people, I picture uh, what's that show? Sons of Anarchy, which yes. I never saw, but it involves motorcycles. Yeah. Okay. Big so. dudes who don't get enough exercise and uh, have Beards. lots of beard. Yeah. Yes. All right. Don't get enough exercise. Um, all right. And uh, Leela from uh, Futurama is in that show. Oh, okay. Cool. She plays Jake Peralta's mom, too, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yes. That part I did. Yeah. All right. So they're making their way out of town. And yeah. uh, they encounter, uh, because of course they would, because this, this is the chase scene at the end of the chapter. Um and uh, so there are there are for the first time in the story really uh, like a risk of being shot by people or by future coterie people with guns. Like granted, he saw them with guns earlier, but there was never like a you know I'm making a run for it, and they're 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 in position to take pot shots at me, right? Yeah. So they they make the unfortunately best decision to like just swerve through town. And there's a Voltron climbing at the top of a building, and the building has like I don't know two or three future coterie guys on it. And uh, as they're riding up to it, he's like aiming his little void pistol, his void rifle at it, which he knows that it has limited range. And so his idea well, is not just that it has limited range. The fact he, he says, you know, he's riding on the back of a moving vehicle, which he doesn't control. And he's got a super long range for them. And he has basically no shot of hitting them at all. He's like, I, I've been hunting every fall since I was 10. I know I'm not going to hit them. I'm just shooting for covering fire to you know, right. maybe make they- duck their heads. Makes me think of uh, Cyril from Archer. Where he just do suppressing fire. Um, yeah, yeah. And yet this thing's got a four second delay, so it's not even that great for that. But um, <laughs> there, there was a, a thing about that. Oh, yeah, we didn't mention that the bike goes 15 miles an hour, which is, you know, a good sprint. If you're a fast, you know, if you're among the fastest sprinters, but like not what you imagine when you're whipping through town on a motorcycle. You're kind of just cruising along on like the world's like on like a 50C, 50cc moped. Except for this one, flies a few inches off the ground on lightning. So yes, it, what, what, what it lacks, what it lacks human in human souls, right? Yeah, it, it runs on human souls and it flies on lightning. So what it lacks in speed, it makes up for in badass. <laughs> yes. um, anyway, so he aims his shot at the guy on the building, and boom, critical hit, Fuchsia's coterie uh, sniper down, and yeah. then we get this this break, and you cut out the whole thing. I think you might want to read the whole thing. Well, I don't uh, know if I want to read the whole thing because it's a lot to read, but. Like to me, this is the most important part in this chapter, and maybe the most important part in the book so far. Uh, I think um, you have to read it then. 
Oh, well, uh, okay, so... Or summarize uh, it, but do whatever you want. Yeah, well, okay, so... um. It's it's a yeah he he gets the note the notice that it's a critical hit and the guy dies and he's like there's no way that should hit and it cuts to I've always thought it was dumb it says Reimer is the name Reimer 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 I say Reimer I'm not sure why Reimer okay uh, I've always thought it was dumb said Reimer you roll a twenty and you get an automatic hit so a level one commoner with cerebral palsy goes up against the greatest warrior of all time a man in magical full plate with a freaking tower shield and little mini tower shields floating around it. And there's a 5% chance that he'll hit. How is that not dumb? Um, which is, you know, I think a darn good point. And also the fact that uh, June has a 5% chance to just kill someone at any range, no matter what the he's doing and how impossible it should be, is a fucking huge power that he has in this world. Like, that's that's ridiculous awesome i mean it's, um, it's almost so cheatable that if you gave him a fully automatic weapon he'd be literally unstoppable um like give, I, give him I, a ballistics I, weapon that can shoot further and yeah like it, you know if i shoot at an angle you know if you ever played like um like call of duty you could start the round and throw your tomahawk into the air like just towards where you guess the enemy spawn and yeah. once in a while you'd hit one right if I had, if I was sitting next to a bucket of bullets and a and a uh, chain gun, and I could just aim over the mountain where I think the evil king lives or something, and know that I have a good, you know, a pretty good shot of hitting him with any given bullet, like that, that's OP as fuck, right? Yes. Although, also generally in in at least in tabletop games, when you have automatic weapons, you don't roll individually for each uh, bullet. You like take an automatic attack action and roll one die for that. So okay, it wouldn't then, necessarily then you, then you, this also works with a single shot rifle, right? Yes. Yeah. If, yeah, if yeah. you're if you're just you know pinned down six miles away, just shooting into a valley, like right. you know again where where no real human could ever hit somebody, but you just take you know a few dozen shots and you're pretty much guaranteed to hit them. Right. Uh, Op as fuck. Yeah. yeah. And so, but so this, this breaks repl- into oh, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So Arthur replies, and this is where I think you know the really crazy cool shit is that's not what these games are usually about they're about telling this small improvised story that no one but a handful of people are ever going to hear having a rule like an automatic hit on a natural 20 is just in service of storytelling so he's making the point that this isn't a a simulator of how things actually go this is a device for creating stories and then uh he has june relate the story about a level one commoner versus the best warrior in the world and how, because, you know, the commoner shows bravery and tries to fight this best warrior in the world that's terrorizing his town, uh, he rolls a natural 20 and gets lucky. And in that moment, the warrior feels a real fear, because now they know that underneath a small kingdom's worth of magic items and a body that would make the god of might green with envy, the warrior is still just a man. And, like, that is a really cool story beat, right? That's awesome. And yeah. um and and that's what these games are all about. And then Raymer counters the commoner could have just as easily rolled a one. And then the epic level fighter goes and straight up murders him with a single swing and cleaves into someone standing next to him just to make a point. <laughs> and and Arthur goes, yeah, in which case it would be a different story. One about the futility fighting or about ego or something like that. There are so many paths. The dice roll just shifts you from one path to the other, from one story to another. And I was like, that's that like is... Real life. I don't think that's like real life at all. Real life Minus does not run on narrative. And that is, real life doesn't run on narrative that often. And that's, you know, shitty. 
No, no, but I, I'm thinking like consider like the the random events that happen that have life impacting changes on you, right? Oh, yeah. Like but I, I love telling the story of how I, I became my, my wife and I. This is super cute. Went to the same elementary school, um, and so like there are pictures of us together as children. But like we weren't, you know, ch- I wasn't I wasn't sentient as a child. You know, we shared proximity in our youth, but um, how we became reacquainted could so easily not have happened, right? Um, I rolled a 20 that day and my life would have, my went, my life went completely differently. Um, yeah. that, that wasn't what brought a tear to my eye when I was reading this story though, this little flashback scene, um, that, that, uh, it's hard to articulate. I, you know, I, I suffer what, from what Paul Bloom might call like pathological empathy. Um, it just, it put me in the mindset, you know, he, we, we've, we haven't had a scene with Arthur yet. We've talked about him. Um, and so here we have like. And I, I mean, I get where Raymer's coming from. He's talking about the game and he's like, that makes no sense. And he's like, it's not about that, man. It's about the story. And he rolls with it so smoothly. And then, you know, June turns it into this very inspiring little story. And yeah. uh, at the end of it, you know, Arthur, like you finished up what he says, you know, it's like, well, then it's not about that. It's about something else. I don't know. Something about that. Like I almost literally broke out and cried. Like, I mean, not, not crying, crying, but brought a tear to my eye. Yeah. Like yeah. it was just, it was so touching. Like it's when, really when, well when he done. talks about, you know, his friend Arthur and why he misses him. I'm like, oh, my God, like this guy was amazing. And yeah, I don't yeah, know what, what to say about it. Um, I so one of the reasons I really like the story is because I sort of had an Arthur kind of thing in my past. And like the the friend didn't die. He moved away to Texas, which is uh, back in the late 90s. Not that terrible, but still basically an end end to the friendship and um and it sucked and like i was i was deeply into him and like i thought we were going to be together forever or whatever other stupid bullshit you have when you're a teenager and uh and then it just didn't work out that way and it really hurt for uh for a few years and so like i feel i feel the june arthur connection a lot and that makes the story like special to me in that way too and like i know this is not a an uncommon story. Like everyone has this something similar to this, I think, which is why it's a good story because many people can relate. Yeah. And it's, it's great writing, right? Like yeah. you know, th- this, it's a, it's a way of like, like you said, a lot of people have this situation and they know exactly what this is like, but it, it wasn't even so much that I could relate to like my Arthur. It's more like just, I, I imagine myself, you know, knowing this person and I'm able to like, just Im- put myself in Arthur's head and I'm like, Oh my God, he strikes me like a Mr. Rogers character. Like this guy's amazing. Yeah. Um, yep. anyway, yeah, it was a really good section. Yeah. Um, so they were talking out of comfort. Yeah. He's got a, Oh, they're throwing bombs at, uh, Voltron who decides to go after them because it has to, cause it's the boss of the, of the area. Um, <laughs> yes. good way and, to put it. uh, uh, I just i I've got a handful of shortcuts in my phone keyboard to be like from the faces you see people make like uh, the emoji or emoticons. Yeah, and this is like the Lenny face, like the sideways sideways smirk. So I just put that when it says I use my free hands to hold onto her hip. Um, right. Anyway, so they throw a, a bomb and it barely it like whatever glances or has a glancing blow on Voltron um, that like I don't know shaves off a few zombies, but it doesn't slow it down. So then they do the next badass thing, which is throw this grenade without a timer in front of them, go past the car that it was on, and it. Oh no! Wait, that's 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 after it transforms into. And I read it twice. I know it's got three heads, and I get the impression it was running on four legs, but I still am just picturing a Terminator. Okay. Um, like it was it running on two legs or four? It doesn't really matter, but 
Uh, I I don't think it says, but it, he refers to it like as a zombie hound. So I assumed four. Yeah, hound was the what made me think four. But uh, in any case, I mean, I guess I could just picture Resident Evil dog, but I'm still just picturing uh, Robert Patrick from Terminator Two chasing them. And awesome. Um, although he doesn't have glowing red eyes, but let's pretend he does. And uh, so it's he blows it up um, with this badass move. And what was it called? Greater Umbral Zombie Defeated. Um, quest completed, Comfort Zone, which is the quest he got when they were leaving. And you get to level up. But uh, Umbral is a name, or is a word. It, I mean, it's like the shadow of a, uh, an eclipse. But um, Umbra is also a character and a sword in Oblivion. And probably in, in Skyrim too, but I think it was less exciting there. Um, so Umbra, I believe, is just Latin for shadow. Okay. Um, okay, so anyways, they, uh, he got to level up. Yeah, I, I just liked, I mean, the idea that this thing turned into a super boss and they nuked it right away was tight. Um, yeah. I mean, the only thing that we didn't mention about the greater umbral zombie is that it could run fast enough to keep up with, that was outpacing the bike. Yeah. Because uh, 15 miles an hour is not that impressive, and uh, this Terminator hound could keep up with them. The chapter yeah, ends. Yeah, it was catching up. The chapter ends with, like, she just turns and looks at him. She says, you, said Amaryllis after some time. We're going to f- we're going to have to figure out what you are, and I just put I think I'm in love, and it has nothing to do with how she looks. Um, so what does it have to do with? I don't. She just seems badass and intelligent, and uh, like, I mean, how the hell would you react if somebody you know came to you and be like I'm in a video game and I can see the character sheet and all this and that? You're like, okay, you're fucking crazy, but I need your help right now, and uh, it's like th- this is a a earth shattering revelation that he's done. Oh, cause she watches him level up. Yeah. And so this is more impressive than him just, uh, you know, maybe flexing under his t-shirt and, you know, lifting his heels a little bit, like to get a little taller. Right. Like right. Th- that, that was already jaw dropping, but rather than her being like, Oh my God, or Holy, sh-, you know, I don't what what's going on. She's just like, okay, I need to figure out what we need to figure out what you are. Like, yeah. um, like it's just, that's, that's the level of, uh, like, focused attention on uh the bigger picture that just i don't know it was awesome that is awesome i will tell your significant other to watch out watch out for what oh for me falling grammarillas exactly oh no i, I my rachel already does that so we're good oh okay oh plus yeah no. amaryllis yeah okay yeah um yeah plus she's not around so you know yeah um all right chapter seven 20 questions so like i said there was a lot to talk about in that first chapter and then this one god this is I think my favorite chapter of the book so far. Cool. Um, and I like out of meta low. So, all right. High level notes of this chapter. They basically, uh, they spend time asking each other questions and they have a game, which again, gives me just more. I said, a moment of my dreams, man, when she says, we both want information question for question, no more than a few minutes per answer. And follow up questions can be taken as your next turn. The anathemes recommended structure. You go first. Like, I'm like, man, this is like the exact kind of thing I could imagine, you know, two rationalists meet, in a, in a world like this where it's super confusing. And they're like, okay, the only fair way to do this, we'll, we'll ask each other questions, a few minutes to answer. Like, this is a fair rule. Let's just do this, right? Yeah. Fucking genius. So that's, awesome. what this cha- that's what this chapter is. They sit there and ask each other questions. And what I'm stoked on is like, this this could be chapter 20, right? I mean, things could have stayed busy. They could have never had time. Maybe she didn't want to answer questions. Like, there could have been all kinds of excuses or good reasons to not have this happen this early. But again, Alexander Wales, man of my heart, totally understands this. Like, Hey, they want answers. The shit that I want to read. Yeah, exactly. They want answers, but not all of them. Of course, we can't give you everything, but we're going to give you uh, enough to keep you keep you satiated here for a while. So, 
give the people what they want. That's right. Um, so, I mean, they, they find a cabin in the middle of nowhere to park at and like he snaps at her briefly. Oh, he also unlocks horticulture by finding yes. some, by finding some, some whatever crap to eat. Um, the most OP of the skills. I think when I was thinking horticulture, uh, it was next to another useless skill, which I can't remember if I'm supposed to be able to have seen all the skills because like my phone showed them all, but I'm not sure if on my browser they would have. Um, I, I think if you if you weren't supposed to see them, they just wouldn't have been put in there at all. Okay, yeah. So then I, I need they to, would have been left blank. Yeah. I need I need to pull up a copy of the character sheet to keep in the notes so I can remember what all of them are and what they relate to. But um, anyway, so yeah, he's got horticulture because he found onions and berries and tomatoes. Um, so. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, like she's asking about the game and he's like, yeah, look, it's like tabletop. It's like a play. She's like, oh yeah, we have those except it's like a public performance. Where, like the audience kind of votes on the answer and they get these answers. You know, they only get these answers to choose from. So, sounds well, awesome. It sounds interesting, but it doesn't sound at all like a tabletop game, right? It's just the closest no. that they have. And then I did get this as an accurate prediction, but not one fun enough to go on the sheet because they're, uh, they're talking about computers and he's like, okay, so we've got games like that. So like now they run on computers do you have those? I'm like, yeah, we've got computers. And then she's, there was like a line where um, like, no, that's uh, you know, that there's some disconnect here. Oh wait, first uh, she's like, are these games similar? The tabletop games you're talking about. He's like, no, that sounds more like Twitch plays Shakespeare. What? And he's like, never mind. It would take way too long to, we'd be here all night. And I'm like, yeah, you would. How do you explain how Twitch beat Pokemon to somebody who doesn't know like what electricity is. Right. Uh, right. So uh maybe she, you know, electricity whatever um she says yes we have computers and he's like okay yeah so now they run like you know he explains how a computer can calibrate like the angle of the sword and like that's a deflection she's like ah uh, that doesn't really help me understand how a computer helps and i'm like oh okay uh they mean computer in the 1930s sense um yeah. and it, it was even it was exactly that it was women who studied math um mm-hmm. And so, because then she asks him, like, if you spend a week's wages, how long do you have the computers labor for? And I'm like, that cinches it. And um, I said, predict. I said, prediction. Computers aren't boxes of electric magic like on Earth. People are possibly people who compute things. And then she says, when I say computer, I mean a woman trained for at least three years at the Anatheum of Mathematics and Metaphysics, usually hired for the purpose of complex mathematical calculations relating to cryptography, physics, or the more esoteric magics. Which I just think is fun because like mathematics and metaphysics is the same school and you hire a professional mathematician to help you do esoteric magic and crack codes and then physics, um, which is like the, the previous, <laughs> what the, the, the previous school that we uh, heard about was like, um, I forget, like sorcery and secrets, but it was also two words that both start with the same letter. I'm kind of wondering at this point, if all the various Athenaeums, Athenaeum, yeah, Athenaeums are uh have to have two words that both start with the same letter. Oh, we get we get her school that she went to later. We'll see if we can add support to that. Um, all right. So then, yeah, they, they do the 20 questions thing. And you're asking what so I thought of his list he, of questions. Yeah. Any questions on his list that, um, that, that, you, that isn't on his list that you like immediately jumps to your mind? Um, I would have needed some time to think about that. I mean, like, uh, like a lot of these questions don't seem that important, but I get how they're coming up. You know, like how big is Arab in connect in comparison to Earth? Like, not one of my top thirty questions I want to answer answered right now. Like, eventually, sure, but that's not like if I got you know twenty questions, that would not be on the list. Uh, but I think like, these are just your number one question. God, if I, I mean, that I get to ask her, not that like I get the answer to, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, I 
I think that he might have hit it with the because I don't know if she knows where souls come from. And even then, too, like that's not exactly useful Um, learning like, all right, how do I learn magic? That is actually pretty important, but I don't want to just cheat and give his first answer, but I can't think of a better one on the fly. My very first question would have been, what the hell is a soul and are they conscious? Because I guess maybe that's two questions, but that is what I really want to know right now. If we're, you know, if they're going to the hells, if we're destroying them, like what's up with souls? That's a, I, yeah, that's a really good question. I guess and I just I didn't consider it because I am operating under the incorrect assumption that they're kind of like, again, like a body's life force. And I, I'm assuming, although I, I'm probably wrong, that like the people of Arab don't understand what souls are like. They might know if they're conscious. That sounds like a something that, you know, with, with time to experiment, you would be able to figure out, right? Especially like the idea if you can of, see of into, shoving one into a golem or whatever, right? Uh, and especially if you can see into the first 5,000 layers of hell, you can probably see if the souls that are in those appear to be conscious, which I would assume they are if they're being tortured, because what's the point of torturing something that isn't conscious? Yeah, I suppose you're right. I mean, I... You mentioned this too, like, and he's thinking about the same thing when they talk about like, uh, so they have soul factories where, um, like they, cause they're, he, he observes that they're like, Hey, there's a lot more souls running around than there are, or excuse me. There's like, you know, I saw the same bulging hood things on the cars. That's clearly where the souls went. Like, you know, there are way too many souls, uh, soul powered things. than there are just souls running around. How do you guys, what the hell's going on here? And she's like, yeah, we've got factories that make souls. Um, yeah. And like the idea, I also like too how unequivocally a soul uh, is in or a being is ensouled when it has uh, when it's six days after conception. Although they don't think yes. it, they don't think it goes to hell unless it's been alive for at least 30 days, which still yeah. so there's unless gestation time between- on Arab is really short. Like, what the hell does a, does a 31-day-old fetus have done to earn hell, right? So hell is clearly right. not an earned punishment. Um, no. Unless, you know, well, unless it's the only place souls go, then it's not about, then you just earn the level. That's still possible, but I don't think that's the case. Um, and there's, but that does give them a 24-day period between six days after conception and 30 days where they can do things with the souls, I guess. Yeah, but I, I guess I got... Uh, so when you picture a soul factory, are you picturing like a place where they fertilize, uh, like are doing artificial insemination on, on, uh, like, like lab experiments that way and harvesting the souls from the, the, the zygote? I, that is what I'm picturing. Yeah. Something like that. I, maybe I might've pictured that except that like the crime here is that like, yeah, you know, it's, it's harmless. And she says the lie we tell ourselves. So like, it's, it's the conceit that. You know, everyone kind of knows that we're doing something wrong here, but um, we say, yeah, well, you know, she- because there's no consciousness there, we don't really mind uh, as a society. However, a large enough bomb to destroy a city wouldn't just claim the lives of all the people. It would consign the purpose-made souls to hell, thousands of them, maybe millions. And so that's why I'm thinking it can't be people standing over uh, Petri dishes harvesting souls. I'm thinking some m- machine business is oh, churning yeah, these yeah, things yeah. out like uh, – like the first yeah. ones would have been people over petri dishes, but yeah, eventually it gets industrialized where you can do them tens of thousands a day, hmm. maybe an hour. I wonder how much a soul I'd, costs. Probably pretty cheap, yeah. especially if you need fifteen of them to run a motorcycle. And there's just like gas pumping stations. Like th- that's the thing she said. She says accidents and assaults happen. Like 
every car accident, I'm assuming, maybe oh not God. everyone, but yeah, I'm assuming <laughs> a lot of car accidents, most would have more than 15 souls. I'm figuring maybe 40, 50 souls to run an average car. And you get in a car accident, and the gas tank ruptures, and then the souls just go to hell. Like, it would seem sucks. like a, a matter of moral urgency that uh, you put these, you know, the, the soul jars, like, be as robust as possible, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, well, I guess so. there's the thing. You said that maybe they're harvesting three-week-old zygote souls, which apparently don't go to hell. Is it, like... Uh, I mean, maybe maybe it takes them a while to get decomposed in the engines and they get old enough to go to hell? Because he says, like, uh, what happens when someone gets to hell? Uh, would thousands of newborn babies just drop out of the sky? Right. Like, I don't know. Apparently, they... They've seen these souls go to hell after an accident, so I guess they they get past their thirty day you know point of no return. Like what the fuck, man? And and seriously, what does happen? Like it, these souls have had no conscious experience. They've never had social interaction. They've never had eyes to look out of. So presumably, they don't have any like language or complex thought. If they go to hell, are they just kind of like livestock? Like is this a a giant analogy for factory farming because it still sucks to see like a dog or a cow being tortured for all eternity. It's not, it's, it's not as bad as like a human being tortured, I guess, but I still yeah, wouldn't like to see that. It's definitely, you know, still a nightmare factory, I guess. So I, I, I realized what we're, where I was confused before uh, the soul has like the three ish week window where it doesn't go to hell, but it exists. And then, yeah, you put it in a gas tank. I thought that once you harvested the soul, like it wouldn't get older. I figured, I thought it was the age of the organism that it the, the organism had okay. to be a month old. But apparently, I think you're probably right. It probably is the soul has to be a month old. Um, in which case, yeah, finding out where souls came from is actually a rather like important question, which I'm guessing they don't have the answer to. Like they said that they, I mean, if they knew where souls came from, they wouldn't be harvesting them from. Uh, they, I don't know. They're it might still be they like a life the force thing. They what? Yeah. They might just go to the soul mine. Right. Yeah. I mean, it might still be like a life force thing. And what the factories do is like suck it out of the air or something. Um, I have no idea. The other thing too, is that like the plant, the, the animals at the pet shop all had red eyes, um, which yeah. I guess just means that zombie being infected with zombie doesn't mean that you have to have had a soul. It just, you have to be a, an organism, I guess. And luckily, bigger than a bacteria. Shit, do animals have souls? I don't think animals have souls. We would have heard if animals had souls, right? So I'm assuming they don't in this universe. Otherwise, you know, maybe, you know, it could be no doubt that human souls are more powerful for powering your motorcycles. But like, yeah, this, you would just, is use... this just like the, 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 the vegetarianism argument. Like, look, man, use a dozen cow souls, you know, don't use a person's soul. You know, are there campaigns right. like that here? Um, like I said, in Elder Scrolls, there are animal souls. Um, it's just, you, you get the most meat, you get the most bang for your buck out of, uh, human souls or like, you know, giant souls or whatever. Um, but I, I keep coming back to, they have to have some sort of, some sort of conscious experience once they're in the hells, because otherwise there's no point to the torture. Yeah. If the universe is sufficiently fucked up, then I, I I'm guessing that they're, they're at least just sentient enough to suffer as much as possible. Right. Um, yeah. Like. Which, if you're going to have a universe with hells, seems like the kind of thing you might do. Right. And let's be real. Uh, Alexander Wales is, I mean, he, he writes delightful and touching stuff, like, a, you know, with the Arthur cutaway in the last chapter. But the man knows how to write a fucked up thing. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I fully imagine that, you know, 
uh, a 31 year old zygote goes to hell and like, you know, 31 year old zygote on earth, it's, it has less sentience than your average housefly, right? But if, if it, if its soul landed in hell, it's going to have enough sentience to be tortured and to know that, 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 and to know that that sucks. Yeah. And I yeah. think you kept saying 31 year when you meant 31 day. Yes, I must have. Yes. Um, when you were when you were saying that about uh, Alexander Wales can write some fucked up shit, I was thinking of uh, Koi uh, earlier this week posted in our Discord. I just read the last Christmas, and this was my reaction. And it's these various gifts of people being like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, it, but again, uh, it, I'm not saying you know that uh, Wales writes merely you know psychological horror stuff. That story has a very happy ending. And it's it's yeah. quite touching, and it's everybody literally the 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 world is a insanely better place afterwards. So um, indeed, it was for all the sentient life involved. Um, so yeah, the the baby situation's uh, unfortunate. Um, yes. I'm looking forward to visiting that when when we learn more. Um, the, the unfortunately, you know, it's a drag, but that's how it goes. Well, and also, you know, he gets bombshelled later when we'll get there. So maybe he's tired of asking questions after the revelation. But like. I would have kept kept going until she told us it was time to stop, right? Well, here's a really cool thing. Yeah, like he, it says he opens his mouth, asks another question, and then realizes we're taking turns. He says, okay, your turn. And he gets a pop-up, loyalty increase, Amaryllis level two. Which, first of all, that's kind of cool. I I feel like, I feel warmer towards Amaryllis that she noticed him correcting himself and that made her like him more that makes me like her more which is sort of a weird recursion thing but i i just do but also he, he just gotta level up for loyalty with with uh another person as soon as i saw that i was like oh my god it's time to start gaming other people like nothing is sacred when it comes to numbers going up right <laughs> <laughs> so i need to start making my numbers go up with other people and doing whatever it takes to get their their loyalty dumb up you know i think i realized just now that i was reading the loyalty thing backwards i was taking it to mean that his loyalty towards her had gone up to level two oh, but but that's I, not what a character sheet records you no. know a character, a character sheet records other people's loyalty to you and that makes a lot more sense uh, so I was thinking that his loyalty went up to her because he was like, oh, wait, nope, I'm surrendering my urge task and it because it is her turn. And it's like, hey, that's loyal. Good for you. Have a have a loyalty increase. But no, oh, she noticed too. and gave him loyalty. Um, yeah, that, I think that especially with the gamification, that makes more sense. Like, you know, this isn't keeping track of his personal stuff, uh, like his attitudes. Right. There's nothing to yeah. stop him from killing somebody he has a, a level hundred loyalty towards um, right. or betraying that person. Uh, but it does seem like maybe if someone had a level hundred loyalty towards him, then they're way less inclined to uh, betray him. Yeah. Okay. So speaking yeah. of gaming other people, I would have done this shit all night too, right? Um, mm-hmm. She's like, "All right, try and intimidate me." <laughs> and <laughs> she leans back with, and you know waits with an expectant look, and he raises his fist. Um, you, you had better, you had better not fall asleep during your guard shift tonight, or else skill unlocked, intimidation, critical failure. <laughs> <laughs> and i oh, i just thought that was so perfect i'm so glad it worked um yeah and i like how she's he's like yeah it worked thanks i critically failed and she says yeah i noticed your tension go off of me for a second but then she says yes i noticed that it fit that it fit or did it work and then she's like yeah i saw your tension go off of me which means that she saw him like you know refocus his vision to read the text yeah. and then 
when he says it critically failed, she's like, yeah, I saw, which I'm guessing means that like, yeah, I saw your, your intimidation attempt failed because that was ridiculous. And, uh, I mean, the thing is that that she smirks and then he gets a romance level. Um, yeah, here's the cool thing about that. Like it, it, it was, she smirked and he starts blushing and then he gets a skill increase romance level one. And so my way of reading that is that she thought it was cute that he would he failed at intimidating her and then blushed that you know she knew that he failed and so that makes me think that your romance skill increases when you do something that makes someone like you more in a romantic sense so well like he didn't intentionally do that like he didn't mean to fail the intimidation and he certainly didn't intentionally blush you can't control that but it was just a thing that he did and she liked him a little more for it and so he got a skill up for that I thought, hey, that's that's really cool. That's a neat game mechanic. Yeah, I I, I wonder. I mean, yeah, romance does seem to specifically imply uh, like that. It has to be a romantic thing because um, of the word romance in there. But yeah, I guess right. I was just thinking like because because loyalty increased level two. Loyalty is not a skill. Um, no, loyalty is a is a like per a character thing. Yeah, and so like unless there's like an affinity skill to where like you can just get people to like you, then having just mere romance means that like people there's no way to like increase the average likability of yourself unless you're flirting with somebody. Uh, or at least the romantic likability of yourself. Right. But that's, that's what I mean. Like, he, so he can level up his, his romance, but he can't level up his uh, likability. Right. So if like you were trying to romance a, a, uh, a straight guy, then they would still think you're a jerk no matter how high your romance skill is. Right. And I'm saying that it's a bummer that there's no like, uh, corollary like likability skill yeah because if you could if you could up your likability uh i mean that's you know there's 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 perks in fallout like uh like black widow if you're playing i think there's one if you're playing as a male character too that has a similar name but like where you do bonus damage to men if you're playing as a woman and you get some like specific dialogue options and so like i could see that sort of that parallel if you've got a high romance skill you know yeah then i can talk this uh this duchess into you know coming back to the to the cabin in the woods where i can rob her or something right um mm-hmm. but you couldn't do that with the duke if he was straight um right anyway uh so um there was a oh yeah this actually was kind of like uh this and i get it he's tired he's had a, he's had a weird day so i don't want to give him too much slack over it but i feel like i'd let my adrenaline keep me up all fucking night if i knew the question game could keep going um okay. but he's getting tired and uh, then she's telling the story about the, you know, well, there was this king, there's this great and powerful king and her voice like takes on this, like, uh, this feeling of telling and it was a proper story with a capital S, not just a recounting of things that happened. Yeah. And for me, that sounds like, like a cutscene, you know, like with like cut away to, uh, like a flashback. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. What's, what's a bummer is that we didn't get like a flashback. It would have been cool if he saw the whole thing. Right. Before my eyes, I could see the story that she was telling me or something like that. That would have been cool. Alas. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, nothing like that. Instead, uh, we get this nice story of the the great king who was around 500 years ago. And he gets a quest. Oh, yeah. So he's, he's like not paying attention until she mentions yeah. that like the king vanished, you know, on some mysterious quest. And then it says quest accepted. Lost king found. And it's like, oh, damn. Okay. And then he's yeah. like, I man- I'm immediately began paying full attention. And I was and like, yeah, I- same here. <laughs> Yeah, yep. That was my reaction as well. I was like, "Oh, this is much more important than I thought." I'll 
Right. I thought this was, you know, background context, whatever. King, blah, of course, you're a princess. Of course, there's going to be a king involved. But you're like, oh, hold on. Find, finding this mysterious old king? And then it's amazing how much our attention is focused when like a game thing like that is introduced. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, sure. You're someone who I am attracted to and like that's talking to me, whatever <gasps> a quest. Right. I can get XP <laughs> or like, yeah, th- uh, there's a reward. There's something happening here. Yeah. I, it's, People advance it's the fantastic. Storyline. Yep. Yeah. And then she gives her last name, Amaryllis Pendrag. 10th of her name, special liaison in the, Oh yeah, it is two E's existential emergencies. Uh, for the kingdom of Anglison. Um, Special liaison on existential emergencies, which that sounds kind of important to me. Yeah, I think I put cool job title. Um, yeah, but yeah like sure literally sound, sure emergencies important. to the existence of the kingdom. That's that. That's awesome. Existential emergencies sounds like, you know, the fact that humanity doesn't have a special liaison for that and we have to all like volunteer and make our own indes- or our own nonprofits for that seems kind of like we've got our priorities backwards. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Pain Drag, I recognize the surname from, you're going to love this, Wheel of Time. Um, ah. Yeah, the 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 long-ago king who set things in motion, who was important in whatever, Arthur, uh, I put his whole name, oh, there it is, yeah, Arthur Pendrag Tanreo. Um, and I have no idea if I'm saying that right, I just wanted to make it sound fancy. Uh, that was that guy's full name. So I was like, oh, okay, I recognize that name, and I know that it was a King Arthur reference. And I didn't actually put together King Arthur until Arthur shows up and then does another flashback. Cause when she says her name, he's like, uh, what was the, what was the King's name? And, uh, then it, or does it cut before or after that? Cause it was really dramatic. Um, yeah. It cuts right after he says, what's the King's name? And she says, uh, Arthur Pendrag. That's Pendrag, right. And, and that's when we get the hard cut to the flashback. Yeah. And, and actually before we get to that at the very beginning of the flashback, uh, Ray, uh, Reamer, Reimer, 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 you said Reimer, right? Yeah. It starts with Reimer talking, uh, well, all of them talking, and one of the other players wants to make a guy named Cloak Shield who has an ability to use his cloak as a shield. And Reimer keeps objecting that that is an ability which the rules do not provide for. And I just want to point out, we have found our rules lawyer. It seems that almost every group has at least one. <laughs> Usually every group has exactly one. And uh, and we found ours. And that is that is delightful. And he's, yeah, having someone, you know, bring your lawyer to the, he's going to be the one who's going to like, hold on, you can't do that. Look at this. Tell, show me show me in the book where it says you can do that. <laughs> Much more importantly, like he'll do that too. But the real problem with rules lawyers is they will do some crazy ass bullshit. And the DM will be like, no. And he'll be like, allow me to direct your attention to page 214, paragraph 7, where it says specifically that I can do that because I combined it with this skill on page 177, paragraph 3. <laughs> and then you're like, well, fuck you. <laughs> well, it it's, says dungeon yeah. master, not dungeon liaison of the rules. So sit down and <laughs> shut up. Um, right. Eventually, every group has to have that conversation where they're like, you know what? Dungeon Master is God and gets to overwrite the rules. And then the rules lawyer throws a fit because these are the rules. They're written in ink. They're supposed to be what they're supposed to be. But you just, you can't in a tabletop game. You have have to have the tyranny of the DM eventually. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's fun having a rules lawyer because they will, you know, they're also very handy oftentimes when you're like running up against a novel threat. You're like, oh, shit. What what do I do when I, you know, am trying to jump across 30 feet and then I slip and I fall 27 feet down? He's like, oh, well, you roll 1d6 for every three feet that you fall divided by the square root of your weight or something. You're like, thank you for knowing that. We will do exactly that. That's awesome. 
Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he's going to have to be his own rules lawyer unless he finds another uh, someone, you know, another person at the game overlay. Um, yeah. So the the real you know bombshell here is that so they're going around the table and Arthur character name and he says Uther Paindrag or Paindrag. I don't know yes. how you're supposed to say it without the ye old English that I like to lay over it. Um, yeah, which is the name of the lost king, Uther Pendrake. And I said, I fucking told you. 50 bucks says he's behind all the badness. Do you want me to write me a check now? or? Yeah, so first of all, I did not agree to that bet. And <laughs> it would be unconscionable for me to agree to that bet because I've read 200 more chapters than you have. Valid. And so my agreeing or not agreeing would be taken as evidence one way or the other. So uh, no bets. But um, no, no empanados will be exchanged during the course of this podcast. Well, they might be, but not for things that are related <laughs> to story information. Um, but I want to know what gave it away. Because when I I had been reading, like, right up until well, this hold up. cut. Before you say something, nothing is given away yet, I'm guessing. Right. But so if I'm you, right, you can't confirm that. No, no, no. Not that he's behind the badness or anything. But, like, you said that Uther Pendrag was going to be Arthur, right? Oh, or yeah. That Arthur, no, no, no. You said earlier you made the prediction that, like, Arthur is going to be involved in the world somehow. Right. In our last episode, you were like, yep, I, I'm saying that right now Arthur is going to be somewhere in this world in some way. And yeah, his character that he made, Uther Pendrag, apparently is the Lost King from 500 years ago, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, but like that, that did not occur to me until this section right here. Like I just assumed Arthur was his friend and he's very broken up about him and it's going to be a re- recurring motif and we're going to get lots of flashbacks and you know, maybe he'll find some way to deal with his loss over the course of the story, because that's usually what happens in a story arc. But, you know, sometimes they surprise you. But, like, it, it didn't occur to me that he or a character of his or something was going to be in the story. And, like, you, as soon as you saw Arthur's name in that first flashback, you were like, yep, I bet some way, somehow he's involved. And, like, how did you how did you make that conclusion? Um, You know, I... I wish I could recall my exact train of thought, but when I when I run back to look for it, the best I can think of is that Alexander told me that he would be. Um, when what? when it cuts away to that, so I I rolled my eyes when it says, "Okay, before we finish this story, you know, before we keep going, I got to tell you about my D and D group. Trust me, it's important." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, if it's important, then do go on." And then it goes on to talk all about Arthur, and I'm like, "Okay, if Arthur is important, and it's like not you know not just to you, June, but to what's going on." I think that was, I kind of read into that. Um, oh, okay. And I thought yeah, it would just I be, that. I guess I, I, I had, you know, it's like my predictions are like going to, and this is going to be a thing going forward, are by and large going to be things that I think would either be fun or I hope to be true. Um, okay. So like when I, I, I guess I saw the option that like, oh, maybe this is a possibility. Um, let's go ahead and just jot that down as like, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, when, when I read that section, it ended with, you know, the reason this is relevant is that Arthur died, and after his death, I made a whole bunch of fucked up shit in my games, and holy shit, am I going to run into those? Oh, yeah. Uh, that actually is perfectly valid, too. Yeah, that that is how I read that. But yeah, no, you you made a correction, a prediction that turns out a few chapters later was the more correct one, because one of his characters is huge in the history of this world. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to go back and read my notes and see if I left any clues for myself to put together to see why I thought that. Um, although I'm not actually the only one, uh, people in discord came up with similar ideas. Um, yeah, but you know, who knows if they're reading ahead or not? I don't think they are. They're just, they're, they're doing, I think they're trying to do what I'm doing and just analyze, overanalyzing the fuck out of it. So, um, 
And so the, the cool this, thing is too, is how many times did I say, well, I guess I only wrote down two predictions and that was one of them. Well, I mean, mine was way more specific. It is not, con- it is not confirmed yet. Um, but yeah, in some, some manner or other, a, a reflection of Arthur is in this world. Um, even if it's just like a character, you know, I, I don't expect him to, this could go one of two ways, you know, uh, he's going to, on, on his quest for the lost king found, he's going to find this guy. And it's either going to go be like, June, what are you doing here? Or who are you? And I have no idea which way that'll go. Yeah. It would be cool. It will, it'll be, it'll be great either way. Uh, I, I, I could see a lot of fun things happening if it's literally Arthur. Um, right. Or, you know, Arthur as he imagines himself physically or something, but whatever. Um, yeah, if Arthur got warped into this world too somehow. Yeah. And then, his, of course, the friends, this, this then pushes back with them being like, you know, giving him shit about, well, come on, you can't start as the King of England. Actually, I started as the King of England's dad, and mm-hmm. uh, that's different. And, you know, picking a name with it, you know, something with your background, you know, if your name is, for example... Alexander, you might have interest in Alexander the Great. And I just called that out with like the little like finger guns, happy emoji, emoji guy. Um, So, yeah. So, yeah, he um, there was a great reference, right, too, when they're talking to each other. He says, I obviously can't start you as the king of England, but I'll see what I can do about a watery tart throwing a sword, (laughs) which was awesome. That is not a good system of government. No. (laughs) As we all know. Yes. Uh, it does end with that saying, uh, and th- that was more or less how Arthur had started down the road to becoming the best king ever, which I don't know, maybe that's sarcasm, but it sounds pretty good. So maybe you won't be getting the double bonus points for thinking that he's a bad guy or something. So I think, let me let me double check my exact wording because, you know, again, we're not, I don't get, it would be cooler if there was, you know, some actual reward. Oh, if he's the big bad. Okay, well, he could have been turned to the dark side or mentally, you know, uh, like whammied to the dark side, right? Um, that's true when it says become the best king ever uh capital letters I, i'm assuming it's like let's put mr rogers in charge and give him all the power like yeah. i i think that, it, that i don't i don't read any sarcasm into that arthur seems too genuine and awesome to me to like be the best king ever in quotes with a huge asterisk next to saying you know his death toll was in the millions and uh people you know fear to speak his name now he's going to be a legend yeah. and he was people read he, he's beloved way apparently yes um so like the the abridged version of the story that uh that cypress is telling is that um like 500 years ago king arthur went on a quest and never came back and his sons bickered about who should become king the eventual decision was you know what nobody will put it will 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 leave the we'll leave the king bit aside because we can't decide if he's dead or not and that's been the standard state of affairs for 500 years which either A, means they're stuck to tradition, which is my probable guess, or B, people live for a really long time. Uh, so maybe people live here for, you know, a long, long time. 500 years is, you know, still within the expect- expected the- range of he could be out there somewhere, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's also a magical world. He could be stuck in a time warp or, you know, become exactly. frozen and have to unfroze and freeze him like the caveman. Yeah, pull him out of the mirror of... Uh, Erisid. That's what I was going to say, but that's not what it's called. Oh, yeah, no, it is still called that in the uh, Method of Rationality. Um, no, in that one, it's Nolotov. That's it's, right. um Yeah. Uh, or something along those lines. Yeah, it's Volition it's, backwards, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so now so, Uther Pendrag was here in this world as a part of this game or whatever it was. 
I shouldn't have been so surprised by that. Every world I'd ever made had players stomping around in it. Why shouldn't those characters be here too? But it always felt like the players were intrusions in the world, not fully acquainted with what I had made and what I was bending to them. And I was always bending to them, even to Arthur, if only a little bit. Yeah, I pulled that out because that is that is very true. Like PCs in a, at least in a tabletop game, they're strange creatures because supposedly they're people that have you know lived in the world the whole their whole lives and decided to start adventuring but like they're played by us and we are strangers to that world and we're trying to pretend like we know what's going on but we're like the wonder woman in the first wonder woman movie the good one we're like you may be trying to pretend to fit in but you don't know shit and sometimes it's obvious and everyone is playing along so even though it's kind of obviously you're a fish out of water. All the NPCs, when they react to you, they're reacting to you just like they would react to anyone else. And it's, you know, it's it's a facade and we all put it up so we can enjoy the game. But if you think about it in terms of like, I just got teleported into the world. If there are like characters that his play, that his friends played in this world, that's, that's going to be some bizarre shit. Like, I don't know how that's going to work exactly. And oh, I'm they might be self-aware. They, maybe they're self-aware. I mean, I I get the feeling that Amaryllis is self-aware. Honestly, I no, think no. I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, meta-aware. May, yeah, maybe they're meta-aware. Maybe they're just like really strange people. I don't know. Yeah, that would be really. And interesting. also, like PCs are literally destined heroes. Like your your destiny is to eventually beat the game. So that uh, that changes things drastically when you're around. Yeah, especially you know if there's enough of them going back 500 years. Uh, and they all think that they're destined to take over the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, so I'm just wondering, you know, so yeah, I think, yeah, self-awareness. Uh, I hadn't given any thought to that explicitly. You know, we talked about sentience in the first episode. Um, I mean, yeah, open question, I guess, with, with Amaryllis and, uh, you know, Paul are two speaking characters we've seen so far. Like, I think it's uh, probable that, like, yes, they're, they are sapient uh, people with, you know, worthy of moral concern and that sort of thing. Um, at least it's probable enough that I wouldn't run around, uh, Westworlding just yet. Right. Um, yeah. but, uh, I wonder if the, if he happens to run into any PCs at the very least, you know, uh, I, I don't like saying Uther, but Uther, 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 I'm guessing. Um, if, uh, if he's around, does he, is he aware that he's a character in a game, even if he right. can't see and- the overlay? Uh, yeah, and if he isn't, like, is his life just really weird and he just has to accept, like, maybe my life is weird because I was chosen by the gods or something? Yeah. But things always seem to go my way. I guess I'm special and I will try to make this world as good as I can. You know, like, the the Vault Dweller, that's my name for this episode that I put in the, the app we use to record. Like, I don't get the impression the Vault Dweller thinks their life is particularly, like destined even though that they change the i mean then again too they're changing you know a a cone of light future or like they're changing they're changing a small future light cone of a small part of like a wasteland of the eastern coast of the united states right they're not like the dragonborn from from uh from the uh, eastern coast i see you have been playing the new fallout games wasn't uh um fallout 3 was what they who they called the vault dweller and that was in uh pennsylvania wasn't it yeah, but uh, the old school of Fallout 1 was, uh, they also called him Vault Dweller, and that was on the West Coast, or pretty darn close to the West Coast, uh, California and Nevada. Yeah, uh, New Vegas is obviously in Nevada. 
Um, yeah, that's true. All right. So, uh, where was I going with that? Anyway. Yeah. Like, I guess, I don't know if the dragonborn thinks his life is weird or I, you know, it's one of those things. That's why I like non-talking NP or player, uh, whatever characters like link from Zelda. I, you know, what makes him great is he doesn't say stuff, you know, like your, your characters in the games that you have dialogue options, but not, not link. You just say yes or no. And that's probably just him shaking or nodding his head. Um, yeah. Like what, what's perfect for that is that he's not a character. Like you're the character and you can just do whatever you want. Like that's also what made Breath of the Wild so awesome is that like, you know, there's actually characters with actual story arcs, especially Zelda. And, you know, Link doesn't have story arcs, but that's because that's not his point. Right. Um, anyway, uh, I don't know if Link thinks his life is weird or not. Or he's just like, well, better go do this. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's something to reflect on. Um, I... Let's see. So, yeah, let me let me talk about that real quick. Uh, this will we're getting on here, so I will try to make this digression shorter than I originally planned. No, go for it. But there's, there's this line: "A fresh wave of fear came over me as I thought about some of Raymer's characters being here." Uh, this is great because, as we acknowledged, uh, said earlier, Raymer is the rules lawyer, and the rules lawyers are always the worst munchkins because they know all the rules and how to abuse them. And I, I just want to talk about the rules lawyer munchkin from a uh, game that I was in. This was when we were playing Shadowrun, and Shadowrun 3rd Edition had some highly abusable rules. And, like, I mean, so does any RPG system, really. But, like, D&D, everyone already knows all the ways you can abuse it. Whereas Shadowrun wasn't as uh, super popular and not quite as well-known the ways you could break it. And he just, he had such a great time. He made one character uh, that had the... You could quick draw a pistol-sized weapon if you had the right um, special abilities for it. And there's a mini grenade launcher that's basically pistol-sized. And he stacked it with range finders and laser sights and all this other stuff. That The thing about grenade launchers, they're supposed to be... Uh, there's some scatter to them, which makes them less accurate and makes them not uber-powerful. But he took all the right things and all the right upgrades to make it so he could quick draw his weapon before combat began and fire off two grenades that would, unless he rolled a critical fumble on multiple dice, always land spot on and end the fight before it began. And it was ridiculous. And I had to start introducing special magical characters to get around that. Um, he later created another character that was a troll that he just wanted to see how high he could get the body stat. Um, and the body is like their endurance constitution. This troll could literally hold an explosive as it was going off and survive it. <laughs> and when when he realized he could do that, he included in the backstory that this troll is the only, the world's only unsuccessful suicide bomber <laughs> because he was, he was a communist anarchist that tried to carry out a suicide bombing but lived through it. That's delightful. Yeah, it was it was great, and it was yeah, it was crazy the way you could break the rules in Shadowrun if you really put your mind to it. So you you, yeah. were, you were DMing for this? I was DMing for that. That's awesome. And if 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 Raymer was the same kind of character, and some of his characters ended up in this world, oh boy! I that this sounds like a a lot to consider. I'm wondering, like I read of the relativistic railgun, mm, uh, yeah, whereby moving like handing somebody something wasn't a turn. Right, so, that's a free action. Exactly. So it counts as no time taken. And so you could get a line of villagers and hand them something. And since it takes literally no time, the object you're passing from villager to villager goes really fast. 
It, uh, yeah, the, the passing what happens in a single combat turn, which I believe is like four seconds. So if you make the line of villagers long enough, you can get an object up to relativistic speeds. Right. And this is kind of where like you have to have the, the DM saying like, and the second to last guy just drops it and it loses all of its momentum. Um, <laughs> no, the second to last guy drops it and explodes your railgun. <laughs> villagers go flying. Well, no, the, the, yeah, the railgun is the villagers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so they, they, they play the 20 part. questions and he's, I think he's done after the Arthur revelation, which I am I'm sympathetic towards, you know, if it was just tiredness, I'm like, power through it, man. You got, you got, this is your time to, this is where I wish you had sat in the, you know, grabbed a magazine from the, the sheriff's office and, you know, just to get some context, this is your context time. But, uh, you know, there's some heavy, heavy shit going on. So, um, he's going to take a uh, second watch while they sleep through the night. Um, I'm assuming this place operates in 24 hour time cycles and he's tossing and turning for half an hour until Amaryllis reaches down, placed a thumb on my forehead and said a word that seemed to slip off my mind like a runny egg. I was out like a light before I could even think the word magic. And, and my comment is like, I would kill for this ability. Me too. I know. Yeah. Sleep problems are a common thing. And there are a lot of humans who would kill for that, but Oh my God, if you could just go to sleep at any time, fuck, that'd be amazing. Yeah. There was a, you know, jumping back to Wheel of Time, there's a, like apparently a somewhat easy spell or something, I forget, whereby it's not quite spells, it's a twist to your system of magic. But instead of like giving somebody enough, like giving somebody energy back, you just like wash away their tiredness, which sounds like the same, except for you still get the same like wear and tear that you get from being super tired, just not being super tired. And so is it a magical version of Modafinil? Um, I suppose, but you know, more dramatic of a, of a yeah, kick. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, anyway, so like, what was I going to say? Oh, I guess I was gonna say that sounds more, almost more useful than being able to go to sleep whenever you want. Cause like, then at least you can just be awake. Um, it's true, but you, I didn't even think about this. That seems like a powerful spell in combat if usable in combat, which I suspect yeah. it might not be. I don't know I why I think that, that, but like, you know, it's like, I guess if it was that easy, you know, it was a word and she touched the thumb to the forehead, like, Maybe she's not a super mercy person, but she might have put... Well, then again, Paul was executed instantly. I was going to say she might have put him to sleep before killing him, but like he, ba- you know, he didn't, ha- he didn't know he was being killed. Right? <laughs> it just happened. Maybe that's maybe that's why she like was okay just sending June out to his death because she knew I can just go through the town and you know put people to sleep with a touch and then kill them and take their souls if I need to. But on the other hand, like June was trying to get to sleep for a while. He's lying down. He's trying to get to sleep, and then she just helps him out, which. Makes me think maybe it's it couldn't be usable in combat. I don't know. I'm sure we'll find out pretty soon. Yeah, that'd be that'd be cool to watch her whip it out on somebody who's you know talking shit to her face. I mean, the obvious downside is you got to be able to touch their face, and like you know, yeah. half the the future coterie was swinging bats or or clubs or pipes or shooting guns. So like the ability right. to if touch somebody's in- face and put them to sleep is only so useful in a combat situation. Yeah, if you're in combat with someone, they already don't want you getting that close to their face, right? Although, I, I, I mean, she could disarm somebody really quick. Be like, oh, I'm, you know, help. I need, I, you know, and whatever, like, uh, <laughs> another Thor Ragnarok, yeah. you know, uh, they, could, they could do get help. And he could be like, oh, my God, help. You know, she's dying. And then as she's like, you know, reaches out, like, as pretending to be in, in need, she just touches their forehead and knocks him out. They could get past guards and stuff that way. Yeah. If they if they uh, don't do get help, I will be disappointed, but not I won't blame Alexander for it. I would just love to see it. I do want to throw in that I've spent a lot of my life being like, I 
not going to take sleeping pills. I don't want to be reliant on a drug for that kind of thing. And like after the last year, I sort of said, fuck it. I just want to finally get some sleep. I have gotten a, a, a um, bottle of sleeping pills and been taking one every night. And oh my God, it is almost like having a new magical ability. This is just being able to get to sleep a half hour after I want to go to sleep is fucking huge. It's It's been kind of changing my life recently and I love it. That's awesome. What are you taking? So, uh, fuck, I don't even know. It's just generic sleeping pill. I think it's mostly antihistamines because that's what most of them are. Ah. It just works really well. And I consider this one of those $20 life hacks that you were talking about in the uh, in the intro episode. Fantastic. That's great, man. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah I mean, nothing, you know, I, nothing wears you out more than literally being worn out for too long. Um, yeah, I just really hope that I don't develop a tolerance or something and it stops working because, oh my God, it's amazing right now. I mean, you know, I think with those, you just like wean off for a few days and then it kicks right back up. But more people know more about histamines than I do. Um, I was going to say that uh, like my, I, this is totally not the podcast, but my problem isn't falling asleep. I fall asleep usually within minutes because I'm constantly exhausted. Uh, my problem oh, is, is getting restful sleep, but uh, uh yeah. that's a problem for another day and i and that's you know I, that's that has uh resolutions i'm working on so i'm I'm doing better but all right we are on chapter eight diamond and iron and i yes. mislabeled this number but it's actually an eight um and then it it was I, I don't think it was until i read the chapter again that i read the chapter title again i'm like oh that's why they call it that um yeah okay so he gets to look at the stars when he gets woken up she's leaning over and touching his face and whispering um, which wait, is wait. a really gentle way to wake somebody up and like yeah, a, pre- a pretty intimate way of waking somebody up. I mean, she could have nudged him with it, with her foot. She could have said, you know, snapped her fingers in his face or something. Huh? Oh, maybe she had to turn the spell point. off. That's probably what it was. The whispering was probably the like counter spell. Oh, see, I figured that the spell just helped put him to sleep. I didn't think it was like, you will be unconscious. That's actually, I, I, if it is a, you will be unconscious until I wake you kind of spell, then that's a really shit, stupid thing for her to have done. Cause that would mean that if they, if, uh, if, if trouble, if trouble showed up, she'd have to go wake him up. Yeah. She couldn't yell for help. Yeah, that's a good point. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, if she actually did her watch correctly and was near the house the whole time, she would have had time to run inside and grab him, but still. Yeah. But he, uh, yeah, he's up looking at the stars and I just pulled this out. Um, he talks about multicolored stars, which is really cool on its own. Just all the stars are all various different colors instead of all just being a uh, sparkling white and, uh, the moon. When he looks at the moon, it is, first of all, pretty much flawless. No craters or anything. Just a single awesome shining sphere, except it is full of all these geometric patterns like trenches or or something that have been carved into it. And it turns out that the moon is named Celestar, and it had been the home of the elves before they had been forced to flee. And so now the moon is this perfect, permanent monument to what the elves had lost, stark and clear for everyone to see every single night. And I, man, that is really fucking awesome. And I, I just kind of feel, whenever I see something this good, I'm like, God, that's, I'm jealous that I didn't come up with that first or something. Because <laughs> holy crap, that's amazing. Just this abandoned world up there that everyone sees as a monument to their arrogance. And it's the fucking moon. That's just great. I guess I don't know what caused it. It was like they've been forced to flee. I guess it's not clear to me why. I, I for some reason, had the idea of them being pushed out. Um, like not oh. not like they used up their planet or something. Um, so I, I actually I don't know. I've just always assumed that uh, 
whenever elves have some kind of fall from grace it's because they were arrogant because <laughs> in every single fantasy thing ever they the elves are always punished either for arrogance or for decadence or for hubris you know the the standard uh bad traits of the upper uh, upper class aristocratic elites is that they're arrogant or decadent and that thus thus they are punished and uh that's what the elves are always standings for elves had it coming i wonder yeah. um so elves are real in this world uh sounds like it yeah assuming that this isn't some bizarre coincidence of his right uh, yeah so that's that's interesting uh there's not much i maybe you could have asked her about elves but there's not time it's her turn to sleep so um yeah and then you pulled this out i don't know why because i feel like i know why it's creepy <laughs> she laid down well, so- oh yeah go ahead so you had in I think in your notes or somewhere you had said uh that you you agreed that this was creepy or something? Yeah. Or did you not yeah. So okay, go ahead and read the thing. She lay down where I had been and folded her arms across her chest, then lay still. I looked over her and then turned away because I felt like a creep. Yeah, why why does he feel like a creep and why do you agree? <laughs> because leering at pretty girls whilst they slumber is Edward Edward Cullen level creepy. <laughs> No, like Edward Cullen creepy was because like he broke into her room and was staring at her. I mean, I don't know. I I, I guess maybe so he felt like a creep or I guess, you know, maybe he felt like a creep because he wasn't merely like keeping watch. He was staring at her and staring at somebody, you know, without permission is is a little creepy, but uh, he can't even give himself the excuse of like I was keeping watch because you're not just watching her. You got to watch the door, man. Uh, yeah, so, so I have thoughts about this with a capital T. All right, I, I, I don't think it is creepy to appreciate something beautiful. Like if I go hiking and I see a beautiful waterfall and I just stare at it for a while, taking in the beauty, I, I think that's natural and good, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I feel the same way looking at pretty people. And I understand that people can be made uncomfortable when you look at them, which is why. I generally don't do it um, in 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 any situation where I don't know that they're you know okay with it. But like, if someone doesn't know I'm looking at them, like if it's a picture or if they're on the TV or you know if someone isn't aware look that I'm looking at them, I don't think there's anything wrong with with just appreciating the beauty. And and I think that you know if she's asleep, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, obviously he should be keeping watch, so he should look away for that. But I don't think he should feel like a creep for appreciating that there's a beautiful person sleeping there and that they're nice to look at. I think, uh, I mean, I hear, I hear what you're saying, you know, I'm thinking of like, I, and I don't know how, if I'll ever forget this, there's a woman on the train when I was going to work in the before time when work was a place you went to. Um, yeah. and she had, uh, like it was like, uh, black dreads and like this under part of it was dyed like, deep red that looked like Gamora's hair from Guardians Sweet. of the Galaxy. It was awesome. Um, so like, that was cool. But like, like it said, if, if, if she noticed me looking and you know, I, so I didn't stare cause I don't want to be seen oogling a stranger, but like, yeah. I think that the difference here is that like in his own intention, he's not merely appreciating her beauty. He's, you know, trying to hide uh, his, well, he's, she's asleep. So she's not seeing him, you know, uh, pitch a tent. Right. Um, so <laughs> right. I, I think that he turned away, lest he become uh you know b- before before he feels like a creep about it right um I, I don't know if like i think there's a difference between like oh man you know look at the perfect curvature of that cheekbone that is awesome i think it's more just like ooh, pretty girl i think that that's more like the level that he's reduced to when he looks at her 
like not a fault of his own. This is clearly some, you know, simulacrum of every perfect thing you could ever want to see. But like, I don't know. I, I think that if you're staring at somebody in a way that if they'd notice, they'd be creeped out. Um, eh, I don't know. Eh, I, don't, I, still don't I think It's not a hill I'm willing to die on, though. Right. And I, I don't know. Maybe I'd get canceled for saying that. <laughs> I still don't think it's a bad thing to do it if you're not making someone uncomfortable. I, I, and, uh, I uh, Anyone who's going to give you shit about the, it, you know, you caveat the comfort, comfort bit, like, you know, they can, anyone who cares about that is wrong. Um, like, you know, you do you. You're, you're literally harming no one. Um, uh, That's what I'm going for. Yep. And that's why I don't stare at people uh, generally in public or ever without, you know, first, unless I, you know, know them and know they'd be okay with that. But generally, I don't ever stare at anybody if they could, if they're awake, I guess, sure. <laughs> because, because uh, they would feel uncomfortable and I don't want to make people uncomfortable. Yeah. So I guess it's, it's just possible that, uh, you know, June uh, doesn't have the exact same attitude and he's got the wrong one and he should update to yours where it's okay to, you know, quietly appreciate someone's beauty. But um, from where he's sitting, maybe he saw the Twilight movie and he's like, oh yeah, that, that Edward guy is a creep. And so yeah, I, well, I feel like the Edward guy right now. I'm getting the hell out of here. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. This is this is. Uh, I think it's you know I I I don't read anything whatsoever in Alexander's work about like uh, whatever social narrative you know or making a larger point. Like right. I'm reading it just from from the character's point of view, and the character's like, oh, this feels this feels weird. I should stop. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's there's any prescriptive advice or or recommendation in there. Um, yeah, it tells us it tells us something about June. Yeah, it tells him that it tells us that he feels weird. Uh, you know, oogling. I think he felt like he was oogling, and it's you know he felt weird about it. Um, he wants to be a good person. Yeah, and so then he gets to go outside, and I love this because it says after what felt like thirty minutes, but it was probably closer to like ten. I started getting antsy, and I just commented, yeah. "I get that, bro." <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it mentions that most games would skip through the watch and just tell you if something interesting happens uh because games aren't meant to simulate tedium which was more or less what keeping watch was and yeah yeah that's true and like stories for the same reason like if something is happening happening on screen or if you are reading a paragraph you're pretty sure it's for a reason because they don't just tell you about someone going to the bathroom and then coming out and then making food and then eating it the, the, something is going to happen if you're reading a scene. Harry has never um, once observed going to the bathroom in the entire seven Harry Potter books. See? he That man, he used magic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, in, on the one hand, that's one reason why, why those things will never be fully realistic, because people don't want to experience that tedium, and I wouldn't either. I wouldn't play, like, you know, the going to the bathroom simulator. That's terrible. If it took as long um, to read Harry Potter as a school year, oh, uh, God. nobody would read it, right? Yeah. Yeah. You get you get the summary. The lecture was boring. You don't sit through the boring lecture, right? That's that's terrible. That's literally why we're reading entertainment so that we won't have to have those parts. <laughs> it's escapism. We, we're reading this entertainment during those boring lectures. Yeah, but um, I also you know kind of was thinking in real life, like after the boring part is over, like a week later, your memory kind of edits all the boring shit out. Like you don't remember driving to and from work, or at least I never do, and. Sure, it makes your life shorter when there's parts of it that are just cut out of your memory because they were too boring. But um, isn't it kind of the same thing in retrospect where in real life you kind of do skip the boring parts? It just takes a little while to get to the part where you've skipped the boring parts. You retroactively skip them. I mean, yeah. like you, you, you mentioned that it makes your life shorter. I don't know, because I mean, you've, you've lived the lives of the thousand people that you've read their books, right? In theory. 
yeah. So it, in that way, you've lived a thousand lifetimes with with all of that, right? It's it's. I think it's less about like the number of minutes you remember happening and the the number of things you remember happening instead, right? Um, yeah. So let's see. Yeah, I I can dig it. Um, all right. So he gets bored, and does he do the gun business before or after the Konami code? Uh, I think act- the gun business is before. It doesn't actually no, matter. Oh I yeah, no, it's after. Because uh, okay. he gets he gets uh, pelted while he's doing it. So he's sitting there reviewing his character sheet, which he acknowledges that sitting with your eyes closed is not doing a good job keeping watch. But he's promising to himself he'll, <laughs> to he'll try anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So like when he's like, okay, how do I communicate with myself? You know, if I was going to give myself a code to like, he tries whispering settings, help, whatever. Um, he eventually settles on the first whatever several sequences of the Konami code, which is up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, start. Is that right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So after the second right, uh, so left, right, left, right, and then it did dot, 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 and I was like, oh, my fucking God. I'm both thrilled and annoyed that this seems to have worked. <laughs> Super curious where this goes. I Only because I know that Alexander would, made it, would have made it interesting nonetheless, but like I was like, if he unlocks God mode in chapter you know, eight or whatever, like, mm. how is this going to stay interesting? And then yet, how does this stay interesting? That would have been a really, in, you know, I would have been compelled. Uh, I would have found that compelling either way, right? Um, yeah. But alas. So what does happen? He sees a list, like a grid of, of uh, like, stats the game about the game. Menu. Yeah, the, the settings, but he can't really do much with them. I like how some of them are locked, which is interesting and, like, wasn't conveyed until he said it. Um so, like, I'm assuming he can turn the difficulty up, but he can't turn it down. Um, he can't unlock fast travel or uh, quest markers. Then again, maybe he will be able to later. I mean, why would we see this if it wasn't an option? Like, just to tantalize us and him? But I Maybe it is to give him information. Like, like he says, when he sees that Iron Man mode, hardcore Iron Man mode, and diamond hardcore Iron Man mode are on and he can't turn them off, that's basically the game telling him, you're really, really going to die for real if you die, dude. So maybe it was just to give him the information of, look, take this shit seriously or you're dead. He was able to turn on seeing his HP, though. Yes, he was. It seemed like the third column was the one that he could uh, that he could toggle because the first column is the the difficulty and the second column is for similitude mode, which he can't turn off, which means he doesn't get the minimap or the world map or the fast travel of the quest markers, which is a bummer. Those would be useful. God, minimap would be super handy. Um, oh, my God. I All right. Just for fun. If you could pick quest markers or minimap, which would you pick? In the real world, I would pick quest markers because I already have the minimap wherever I have my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> but in his world, I would pick minimap instead because that, that is just unbelievably useful, having knowing what all your surroundings are at all times. And depending on what kind of minimap, possibly seeing uh, enemies or resource nodes or whatever. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, certain, I mean, you know, he wouldn't know until he turned it on or not, but like... Yeah, does this show people's location? Does this show red dots for enemies? Like, I'll never be ambushed again. Um, yeah. Alas. So I only know of the word hardcore mode, which as far as my understanding, I mean, I guess it varies, but that says to me permadeath mode. Um, yeah. Is, Dian- is diamond and Iron Man mode other words that I should be familiar with? Or does that just say hard, hard, hardcore mode? I mean, th- there's different levels of iron man mode in some games like uh, some games will be you cannot save iron man mode is you can't save uh except for certain points like you can't save in the middle of a uh scenario or in the middle of combat or something 
and then it gets harder as it goes on. And like the hardest difficulty setting is if you die, it deletes your game. Oh man! Uh, like, yeah. And and I'm assuming that's what's trying to be implied here that uh, you, it it doesn't get any more uh, bad for you than this. Unless he turns on Hell Diver mode or Dead Man Switch, um, which I guess Dead Man Switch doesn't sound necessarily worse. But honestly, I'm curious no. what that does. Like maybe oh well, it tell- maybe it says what it does. Well, what does it say? Uh, it says that uh, Dead Man Switch would kill me if I was going to suffer a fate worse than death. Oh, I see. When I picture Dead Man Switch, I forgot it said that that it would. Uh, when I picture Dead Man Switch, it's like sure you can kill me, but then I'll drop this weight on this bomb. I'm you know keeping from the you know like uh, Miles Dyson in um, Terminator Two, uh, where he's sitting there. He, oh. He's in the whatever yeah, yeah. science building being shot up by Hank right. Trader from Breaking Bad. Um, really? Really. Huh, okay. Yeah, it turns out Hank's in a bunch of old Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Um, he was on, uh, uh, shoot, the Mars one, um, Total Recall. Total Recall. And at least one other that I'm forgetting the name of. But um, yeah, apparently Hank uh, was in some of those movies. Um, cool. Anyway, so like that's what I picture Dead Man Switch. Like, sure, you can kill me, but then I'll explode. Um or, or something will happen, you know, I, the email will go out and alert everyone to your secret identity or something. Um, yeah. So, like, that, that's what I pictured. But yeah, so this tells him that uh, it would kill him if he's going to suffer a fate worse than death. And he's like, well, that doesn't sound so bad, but then worse by whose definition? So, wisely, he doesn't check any of those boxes, because for all we know, you can't uncheck the difficulty, which uh, might make sense, right? Like, depending on the game. That's... That's wisely because Helldiver, I mean, Helldiver is literally what we talked about earlier in this episode. It says that instead of uh, going to hell, you'll just be deleted, uh, permanently extinguished, which, I mean, we both said that that's definitely the better option, uh, unless possibly you're June and you might be able to fight your way out of hell. (laughs) So I I can see for him how it might be a, uh, a thing to consider. But otherwise, like both the fact that that Helldiver, you, you, it, it can. There's settings that will prevent him from being tortured eternally, and there's settings that will a setting that will prevent him from being, you know, tortured for the rest of his life before he's killed or whatever a fate worse than death is. Like those, to me, imply that whoever created the game layer here has some level of mercy that they're they're willing to not torture you forever if you fuck up in a game, which is, I think, good. Um, and also that the creator is big on consent because it's your option whether you want to be tortured for take the risk of being tortured forever or uh, he, like you can he can turn on those options or off. And I don't know. I, I thought that was an interesting first clue as to the values of whatever created this game layer. Yeah, whether it be the four other gods or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, I mean the the five gods. Right, um, but assuming he's one of the five. Oh, I didn't think about that. I figured he might have been a sixth or something. Um, oh, or I mean, that could be it too. I'm also not putting him on the god list just yet. Like they might be just different things. You know, video games have yeah. gods. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just my pet theory. Play, uh, play God of War, and you know, show the real god, show the gods who's the real boss. Yeah, I mean, I like. Right. I mean, they're big on the, the the game creator might be big on consent of like, do you want to consent to hell? But like, not do you want to consent to play the game? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> He didn't get much of a choice in that. I think what I liked about leaving them unchecked is that, like, let's not make any decisions right now. Um, unless, like, I feel like I'm likely to be killed in the next five seconds. Um, right. Dead Man Switch sounds like a great one to turn on if you're in a prison cell um, waiting for the execution or, you know, waiting for the, the Inquisitor to come back. Um, yeah. 
Helldiver, like you mentioned fighting your way out of hell. Like I'm assuming hell isn't a place with a door that goes back to Arab. Like uh, it, if it was people would be banging it all the time for both sides. Right. Uh, Well, unless he can can teach himself the teleportate teleport out of hell spell whilst in hell. Uh, Yeah. But I mean, for all I know, you go to hell and you stop gaining experience. Like, you know, then again, that's not how games work, but you know, we'll see. Um, Right. So the the other thing I wanted to mention is that the rest of the Konami code, I feel like he could have done by alternating, alternatingly blinking his eyes and then like, left for A, right for B, left A, right B, and then close both his eyes for start. And maybe that unlocks the cheat menu. I, I kind of hope not. I, I hope there's not a cheat menu. Um, right. Or if there is, I hope it's something like, you know, really minimalistic cheats. Like you don't need to sleep anymore or something, right? Like, you know, like not not just, you know, God mode. You can fly and you're invincible. Um, that, that would be kind of boring. Um, yeah. So he, he turns on HP and MP. He doesn't have an MP bar, presumably because he doesn't know magic yet. Um, Real quick before he does all that, um, it is interesting that that he thinks like, if this was just for me, not a generalized system, what code would I put into the game? Uh, which I like because I, I think this is a thing that all people with transhumanist aspirations should think about it sometimes because cooperating with yourself in a world where you can be duplicated uh, is is a vital thing to consider. It, it was, you know, brought up in HBMOR a few times. Like if Pansy Parkinson ran into Pansy Parkinson, she'd be fucked. And you don't want to be the kind of a person who's fucked if you run into yourself. So having, having ways to cooperate with yourself is good, good stuff to consider. And also there was a great game about it. Which game was that? Oh, it was a flash game back in the day where you played a cursor and you would click on things. And when the timer ran out, you like would start over, but the other you was shown and could keep doing his things. So you could map out, you know, a way to cooperate with yourself through several iterations. It was really fun. Oh, neat. Yeah. I mean, um, unless you're running with stuff that happens later, like I'm not seeing this as any cooperating with yourself. Like all the, I mean, the fact that this is a game that involves nerdy shit tells me that a nerd is, you know, all, the only requisite for this being uh, for like the uh, Konami code is that a nerd made this game. Right. Right. And yeah. He, he might've just happened to have guessed it because that's what it would be. Um, yeah. I, but I just, in general, I like thinking about those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, cooperating, uh, especially like I said, with, with alternate versions of yourself is valuable, um, especially with other people. Uh, so, and if this thing that created the, the world can read all his thoughts, then, you know, make a world out of it, then it could certainly read the Konami code. Yeah, I guess I I don't see it like so much as cooperating with with himself because you know he didn't volunteer for this. Um, yeah. Presumably, it's not impossible again that he chose this somehow or was offered a choice like by one of the gods. This is the real world or something. But right. as far as he's aware, he was in fifth period English passing a note that said, "You know, help him suck in a video game." Um, but anyway, so he does the uh, God, and again. The, like I think seven was my favorite because it had the, you know, the Q and a that I desperately wanted, but this is the Munchkin read that I'm so glad that he didn't wait till chapter 30 to, to indulge himself in like methods of rationality had a lot of short chapters at the beginning, but it was like in the twenties when he's like, let's do some science on magic. Um, but it was really short into the story. It was probably about this word count in. Um, so like, but I'm just thinking like how annoying would it have been if Harry didn't get around to doing any magic science until like, you know, December. Um, so, like, I guess what I'm getting at is that it makes a lot of sense to to jump into, like, testing things immediately. 
and yeah. like, all right, let's let's try uh, farming XP and well, I guess not XP farming skills. Um, and he starts shooting at a can on the fence uh, with the uh, void tunneler, so as not to wake up everybody in the you know range of a gunshot. Um, and he's like, uh, he's he's gaining uh, skills at it. Um, the main takeaways are his skill is capped at triple the primary the va- or triple the value of the primary stat, which in this case is speed for pistols. Um, so it's locked at level twelve, and he has to actually be trying. He can't like disinterestedly look the other way and just like pop the pistol off towards the fence. Um, so no putting a weight on the button and walking away from the game for an hour. Well, yeah, but he can almost do that. Like, I mean, so it takes, it takes work and effort, but like, yeah, so you're right. No, no doing it exactly that easily. Um, yeah. Unless like, you know, crafting might have workarounds for that, that I can brainstorm. But, um, frankly, what I'd have done after, after I maxed out pistols, is I would have just crept circles around the cabin that, uh, that Cypress was in. Right. To max out deception. Yeah. Why not? I would it had probably, would probably still work even if she was asleep. I mean, uh, if you rolled a critical failure, you'd you know snap a twig loud enough to wake her up, right? Or break his ankle. <laughs> yeah, or break his ankle and scream and wake her up. At some point, yeah. he would lose the deception. Uh, yeah. So something. Yeah, I think that he could have tried that. Then again, uh, he but didn't... like he got hit by the rock before he got to that point, right? Yeah. He was still shooting. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the, the other thing to consider here too, and this will make me wonder about the the metric behind critical hits. Um, like he doesn't get at least we're not told he gets any critical hits during the presumably hundreds of times he was shooting this gun. He specifically said that while he was shooting at the can, he did not get any critical hits or critical failures. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it's weird that you can still get skill increases without apparently either, you know, background dice rolls or it mattering. Um, Like, I, I don't quite know what that, what to make of that. So like it doesn't, he can get a critical hit in combat. Maybe that's the only place you can get critical hits. Um, I would, but then, then why on earth would you be allowed to just train it in your free time at the same, presumably a similar rate that you'd get in combat? Like is maybe it's five times as fast in combat or something, but who cares? We've got all night to kill. Like, right. He maxed out his pistols in two hours, you know, give him an afternoon and they, they do this when they take off the next day, he's shooting, you know, uh, logs and shit with the rifle to get his rifle skill up. Like yeah. the, he, he can be doing this literally everything. He could be telling her jokes on the bike. Right on the ride, hmm. he he could right. be intimidating her. He could be romancing her, like all the things. Um, I don't know if he got horticulture by finding the the food behind the thing or consuming it, but like uh, he he could have just. I think it was just discovering it, so that'd be harder to to cheese. But like all of these are like, there's no reason that he should ever be operating unless he's immediately after a level up with any of his skills not maxed out. Um, yeah, get, at least after as a much week. As he can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. We'll take a look at that. Um, we talked about the cunning thing that, like, he seems to have internalized that the game, like, the game skills de facto impact his ability to think, not just, like, do stuff, like, land good shots. And that's what's weird. It's like he thinks that if his cunning goes higher, he'll be able to think of a cleverer solution than if he didn't have cunning. But it's not, he hasn't mentioned, and I guess, you know, maybe you wouldn't be aware of it, but he's like, well, no, he has the same physical body. I feel like he has the same mind that he had on Earth. Yes. And so, like, then uh, I mean, maybe maybe it would increase the myelination on his neurons or something. Like I don't, I don't know. Yeah, how that would like would it help him think of better ideas? What would that even look like? 
I mean, yeah. I can I can sort of imagine what that would look like. You don't really get to choose what ideas occur to you. So like just out of the void where everyone's thoughts come from, like he just gets better ones. Um, and like, you know how you, you can when you're tired, like you have got a shitty night's rest or something, you just have worse brain that day and you can feel the difference. Maybe it's more like, you know, being more better rested all the time and like just imagine leveling that up to the next level. Maybe it's something along those lines. Being even less, less tired. Yeah. Yeah. Because like he hasn't described his thoughts as sluggish here, but he also didn't, didn't describe his body as any different. But yeah, I mean, if like, I mean, hell, he puts his uh, his level up into um, uh, I forget the name of the, the the primary stat. Was it cunning or um, it was cunning? No, it was mind, right? I don't remember, but yes, it was one of those. I, I need to. I, that's why I need his character sheet to reference. I forget the difference in the, the the skills and the stats, but he puts it into those things, and he doesn't say he. Oh well, he doesn't notice a level up, or like he doesn't notice a change. But he wouldn't yet, would he? I don't think he did on the first physical either. Yeah, and yet, like maybe because he wasn't paying attention on the first physical. Like, I guess I would have put the the points into my mind stats when I was, you know, kind of meditating, like. I don't know how I could test a small incremental improvement in my thoughts, but I would have tried to think of a way first. Of course, maybe I couldn't think of a way. And then after I leveled up my mind, I'd be like, oh, I should have thought of that. (laughs) Ah, see? Um, So anyway, he's uh, reflecting on his, uh, like what the skills mean and how like there is, there's a, there's the hard cap at triple the primary value of the stat. Um, And then he gets hit in the face of the rock or hit on the side of the head of the rock. And (laughs) uh, she, it was it's amaryllis and she's like look you just you know you're basically you're shit at keeping watch and she didn't even like come up from the house she came around from the side and mm-hmm. you left me while i was asleep while i was while i was at my most vulnerable if i could sneak up on you so could someone else i could have had my throat slip because you violated our agreement don't do it again i'm amazed his loyalty yeah. didn't go down that yeah i am too because that was that was a complete shit move man yeah he completely just left her to get killed and and went off to cheese his skills i mean yeah i guess he should cheese them but not at the expense of leaving her to maybe die yeah he he could have he could have if he if he wanted to guilt free leer at her while she slept he could have walked circles around the room <laughs> right. and upped his up his deception um yeah so i have a i have a prediction to put about the uh the the hit points um, okay so he gets hit with the rock and he gets 24 out of 27 by the way that's 27 hp um yeah that's that's i don't even know what that means what is 27 health in the real world i don't know and you know i i honestly don't think it's anything i'm curious like because it'll probably be easy i mean it'll be super easy to test with magic because you don't die when you're when your mp hits zero but like i am under the impression i'm my current working impression is that um because when he was hovering over the tooltip for his health it said that there was no mechanical impact right i'm assuming the hp means nothing or not nothing. It's some rough indicator. It correlates with his, you know, physical health. But right. I'm assuming that it went down when he got hit with the head rock. It went down when he got hit. But like, I don't think he'll die if it hits zero. And I think that he will think he'll die if it hits zero. And there will be a moment of panic where it does. But there's not a mechanical impact with his HP. Like, Excellent. Well, you should put that in the predictions. Then. Yes, that will go on the list. Um, I mean, no mechanical impact could also just mean that there's like nothing changes about the game world by showing your your hp yeah it could mean that although that that's that's not no mechanical impact not no impact i was gonna say because you know there is an impact i now see my health bar and now i'm aware that i'm at you know i'm at death's door um i he 
So he did say that when he got hit with the rock, my hit points went down to 24 out of 27, which didn't seem right to me. And, you know, that that's three hit points out of 27. I was just thinking getting hit with nine rocks like that would probably take him out of combat. And uh, that's, I mean, all the game systems are different, but in most game systems, when you hit zero HP, it doesn't mean you're dead. It means you're out of that fight. You're out of that combat. Um, there can often be long-term effects. If everyone in the party hits zero HP, that's usually a total pl- uh, party wipe because there's no one to drag your unconscious body back to safety. It just means, you know, everyone gets eaten now or whatever. But y- usually the explanation is the hit points are a measure of your ability to continue fighting rather than whether you're alive or dead. And so, yeah, after getting hit nine times in the head with a rock like that, I would imagine he'd probably be unable to fight for at least a while, you know? Sure. I, and now that I know that zero HP doesn't mean death, but just out of the fight, that's, that's a, that's a game changer. I, I kind of want to like not render my prediction then. Cause they'll be less, I mean, well, so no, there is still a way. It to, also, I mean, it depends on the game. It does. In some games, zero HP does mean death. And, and there is still a way to science this. Like how many HP do you lose from getting a paper cut? More no, than zero. Yeah. It has to be more than zero. Maybe it's decimals, like fractions that you don't see until they add up to one. I guess, so I could test that just by, you know, grabbing a sharp rock and just, you know, lightly abrasing his skin. Okay, nothing. And just like, you know, doing a little bit of science. I know there's paper. He could literally do paper cuts. You know, he could bite his lip. Like, you know, so if if those do mark down his HP, especially if it's one HP, because that's the lowest increment of damage that you can possibly take. Um, you know, 27 paper cuts sounds like a great way to test. Uh, you know, does that? Well, you don't want to test if you die, but like, it just like... I don't know. I I also personally would not want to count up how many paper cuts I need to get to take it over to one HP if it's, you know, a cumulative effect. That might be a lot of fucking paper cuts. Right. If it's cumulative, I was going to say he could try one. If he lost one HP, then he might have an indication that it's one per paper cut. But the thing is, yeah, 27 yeah. paper cuts isn't lethal. Right. Where, like you said, nine rocks to the head probably is. Uh, yeah. It's definitely enough to take out of combat, if not straight up kill you. Frankly, I'm wondering if it did. So it says that um he it didn't make sense to him that it was 27 out of or 24 out of 27 after the rock is that because uh he should have lost more hp because he got hit in the head of the fucking rock or because he still feels basically fine and it shouldn't have hurt so much um i my interpretation was the latter but the same here but now that i think about it it's like dude you're bleeding from a head wound from a thrown rock like maybe that's 50 percent of your hp like how, how many more of those do you think you could take nine are you shitting me mm-hmm. like is that what it, cause I read it the same way that you did that? Like, he's like, Oh, that seems like too much, but it's like, I don't know. Is it, um, <laughs> uh, maybe it means that he's, he's, you know, hardier than he thinks he is. Um, you know, maybe the game layer is just smarter than him in this respect. Could be, could be, or, or dumber. Like, I mean the, like, I, I, I think that he would go down well before the seventh rock hit his head. Right. Like, yeah, again, he could science this, but that's not, that's, near the end of my list of experiments that I want to check. Um, just cause I don't know if brain damage is a thing in this game. Uh, Oh no, it definitely, he would take, he at least take debuffs to leveled up. <laughs> yeah. Concussion yeah, level two. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. In fact, in fallout games, you could cripple your, you can cripple limbs. Um, you could also cripple your head, which hurt a lot Did of mental stats. No, I mean, maybe in the hardcore games that you played, but in the easier ones, three and up, uh, it like it led to debuffs and mental stats. Uh, you would get like visual impacts on your field of view. Um, 
that sort of thing. But it was just another limb. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, there was a bit about the map uh, as they they jump back on and they keep rolling. Because um, yeah, I think just... she basically forgives him when he explains, like, yeah, I just max out my pistol skills. Right. And she's and then like, she's like really interested in that. Right. Then it's like, okay, well, I still disagree that you ditched me. That you know, that that's understandable. Then, Um, at least that that's a compelling explanation. You didn't just get bored and wander off. Yeah, but yeah, he mentions once they start going that uh, talking about games again. When I made maps, I included as few details as possible. The bare minimum for tabletop world building was a starting location and a destination with nothing but those two points and a line connecting them. Uh, there's more text and then ends with keeping a simple map with a lot of suggestive elements helped when one adventure rolled into the next. By not marking down too much ahead of time, I was free to improvise. And I don't really have much to say about that aside from, yes, that is, I I love that this um that this thing about tabletop games is in here because it is it is the essence of running a tabletop game that it is just constant improvisation and you want to leave yourself as many possible outs as you can. And yeah, my very first time I did anything like that, I made like a full world map and everything and it did not serve me well at all. <laughs> it is, it is not something you want to do. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, so, so you want broad strokes and you can fill in the details as you go, which is interesting, you know, like, I don't think it'd be quite as easy as him inventing things. Hey, you know, it'd be really nice if there was a an unlooted supermarket right around this tree. Um, right. But I wonder if you could ask her, like, hey, is there a, a tower nearby that we can go look, you know, look from? And then, oh, yeah, it's right behind that forest that we're about to come around. Like, you know, it, he could have tested that really quick, but I don't think it's going to be as easy as him, you know, thinking things into ex- existence on the fly here. But no, me neither. Th- this is brought up because... This is the air, this is the uninteresting area between two places that they're, that they're riding through, at a yeah. at a leisurely fifteen miles per hour, um, and I forget what exactly she was doing. Uh, she was doing a stretching routine. Oh yeah, she was stretching, and it says she would have looked amazing while eating a ham sandwich, but during these stretches, I felt my heartbeat pick up. Oh yeah, stretches. I just put the Lenny face again. Um, yeah. So I here's here's the thing. Um, this has been done a lot these first several chapters where he's he's emphasizing like how beautiful she is and how much it's like distracting him or affecting him or whatever. And he's telling, I, not showing. Yes, exactly. And I think Wales's reluctance to actually show is kind of a detriment here. Um, it, to me, it feels like it makes the scenes less effective because you're, you're just, you're saying like, yeah, that, that chick over there was really, really hot, but you're not actually putting the camera on her. Like the, the where the camera goes is what the audience sees or what you write about is what the reader sees and not writing about that. You just don't get that sort of emotional impact. And I don't know. The thing is like, I think this, I think Alexander Wales knows this and this is intentional because he doesn't want to feel like a creep. He's, he's like June in this regard that he thinks of, you know, like the, the Megan Fox thing where in transformers, did you see the video about, uh, Dissecting um, how Megan Fox was portrayed in Transformers? No. Okay, so it's an amazing video, and I'll link it to you, and I'll put it in the show notes. But um, it's all about how, like, if you just look at the script and you haven't seen the movie, Megan Fox is the most interesting character in this movie. She is the one who had a mechanic father. She has, like, a background that relates to what these um, beings actually are. She knows how to fix them. She has all the things that you would expect the protagonist to have and an in-depth background on them. And she's the one who actually fixes the cars. 
And like on paper, she's amazing. And even like the lines as they're given in the movie make her look like this really cool, competent character. But then the camera, it treats her like a piece of meat. There's constant body pans and just like gazing at her nonstop. And yeah, she's one of the hottest people alive. And I mean, my eyes appreciated that, but it it makes a big difference to the story that's told. And and I think like he wanted to avoid that. And I like I understand and I agree with that. But on the other hand, I also think like I just I'm not I don't feel what June feels in these cases because I don't see her. And I think a little more objectifying just to get across uh the emotion that June is feeling probably would have worked well here. Yeah, I I can see kind of both sides there for sure. Like, on the one hand, maybe he just doesn't want people fapping to the descriptions of this hot girl in his story. Like, he... Fapping is wonderful. Everyone should fap. Yeah, but maybe that's just not what he's going for, you know? Um, yeah, I guess. So, but that, it's just like when he says a line like, I was distracted by the curvature of her collarbone. I'm like, that doesn't give me anything. Like, no, you're please, right. Like, it, my, mental, yeah. my mental model of her is June thinks she's pretty. Um, yeah like i i have no mental model of her i'm not attracted to my mental model of her the way he's attracted to her um you know i i guess for what it's worth i don't know what anyone in this story looks like like i'm picturing june as like a, i guess they describe him as defaults maybe he's got brown hair because that's you know not blonde that's not black like he's a white bread and skim milk motherfucker <laughs> yeah but like i i i don't like he might have described uh paul and becca and sly but I don't know if he did because I don't have a mental picture of them. Um, I think they all had like the single the single line description that you usually give for characters that aren't going to be important. Yeah, I suppose. Because you don't want to spend a lot of time on someone who's just going to die soon anyway. I mean, unless she's going to die pretty soon. Like she had, I guess, a paragraph, but it's still only been like a few sentences, right? Of her actual physical description. Um, and the thing is, if like June really is this affected by her, that should be shown, or at least in my opinion, that should be shown in the text. It should be shown by the camera. Like... It, it you can't i i personally think it would have been better if there was a little more that uh that got us into his headspace and in his eyes for at least the parts where it's trying to be made explicit just how attractive she is to him yeah and he's clearly capable of doing that like uh i don't have any you know my mental model of lex and lois come straight from like the man of steel movie right or no not that's not where lex comes from lex comes from the cartoon but um, like the description of Superman is nonstop and it, cause it's important, you know, you get the, uh, every feature of, of, of Clark and Superman is like emphasized at least twice. Right. Um, you, you've got a great idea of at least how people see both of those characters. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm sure it says that his hair is black cause it is, but like, that's, you know, I don't picture that important part. It never says the color of his, you know, the frames of his glasses or something, but like how, how the person is viewed is, is, and specific features, you know, barrel chested, oafish, hunched, all that stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I see what you're saying though. Um, I'm wondering, you know, if you'll turn the camera to, towards it more later or, you know, the other thing that I'm thinking is like, this is from June's perspective. And so, you know, it, it could just be that June doesn't want to articulate these thoughts in his head, you know, like, the, exactly. So like, you know, it's like, I'm trying to think of a way. It's to, telling us something about June, about the fact that he's trying to avoid being creepy at this much. Yeah, I think that's it. You know, like if, if, 
it's it's one thing to to notice that you can see someone's nipple through their white shirt because she I remember she was wearing a white shirt with blood on it. Like it, oh, yeah. it's one thing to notice that, but it's a whole other thing to write that down. Um, and so in June's head, he's you know he's got he doesn't want to seem like the oogly creepy guy. And uh, since this is essentially a book June is first person writing, um, it, you know it's more I think. I guess what I'm saying is I think it's more of a reflection of June than, than Alexander. But of course, Alexander wrote June and this, you know, it, the authorship is still uh, still stops with him. But um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. At some point, I hope we get a good description of her and June just so I can put pictures of them in my head. Um, I'm, I'm basically picturing just like, you know, generic humanoids. <laughs> I'm still picturing the, the princess from Captain Nintendo. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and do... Like, I guess I can't think of a boring protagonist from a video game with, like, brown hair. Like, yeah, just a default character creator screen from every Fallout game, except younger, and uh, Princess Zelda, until I'm described otherwise. Yeah. All right. So, and I know that her hair, I think, was not blonde in the story, but it is until he talks about her hair again. Um, Very well. (laughs) All right. Similar was the site of the attack that created the Risen Lands. Oh, oh, wait, sorry. Silmar. He asked what's in Silmar. Um or no, not exactly. He asked that last night. She said that's too big of a question. Um, and we get more info now. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, uh, it's a, it's it's the it's basically been untouched, and then there was the by the necrotic field effect. No, no, no it, it was ravaged by the necrotic field effect, which I guess they were researching there at the time, and then there was an attack, and the necrotic field effect went crazy. Like that's why it affects smaller animals because it's stronger near the capital where they were researching it. And I just like, you know, I, I was like, we have been given info. It was attacked. So, like, somebody attacked it. And who and why? Uh, are they going to be an enemy later in the story? And will this necrotic field effect thing be a thing that comes into play? Because that, that's, again, a lot, of, a lot of stuff that we were given in a, you know, more casual way that is easy to not notice sometimes. A necrotic field effect was also like the second thing he thought of when he thought of the zombies or when he first encountered them. Okay. Um, like, and so I think that's important because this seems to be a confirmation that he, you know, might have some insight into this because he's thinking like, if I made these zombies, I would have had them all like being powered by a necromancer, putting up some sort of like, and he might have even used the words necrotic field or, you know, some sort of field. Right. Um, uh-huh. so, you know, maybe it, it, we, we basically are coming up on the end. So he doesn't get a chance to follow up with that, but like, he could have been like, hey, is that by chance uh, the necrotic field effect? Could it be by, you know, a guy in a black robe on, the, you know, the third level of uh, the basement of this, you know, place in the center of a city? And then she might be like, OK, now we need to talk about like all the random shit, you know, about our, our world. Um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, yeah, I mean, it. this is a this is a teaser. It doesn't really tell us anything. Right. Um, it's it's more just like, yep, here's there is lore here. But you can't read it yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, I do like how her rationale that there might be food and stuff there is because all the uh, the animals were also zombified, which means that they would have been eating, I guess, each other up instead of all the food. Um, yep. That was cool. I, I don't know why. She, that's not a unique thing to Silmar, though. That was also the case in Comfort. Uh, yeah. In Comfort, they did have the pet shop with all the animals. I mean, they might have been turned by zombies, but that strikes me as unlikely so like, and they also weren't eating each other up, right? There were fish in a fish tank, not eating. Yeah. Well, I guess the zombies also don't eat each other, but uh, I guess maybe comfort was looted because that's where everyone landed from the plane. 
you know, for the punishment or whatever. Right. But apparently it's within a two day, you know, uh, march of, uh, of a major, of a, of a city. So, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, a a healthy clip for walking is like 25, 30 miles a day. Uh, so, I mean, if they're going, yeah, but they were going, they were going 15 miles an hour for, it sounded like at least five hours the first day and the entire second day. Right. Yeah. I guess. So, I mean, maybe a three day walk, you know, I, I crunched the numbers, but yeah. And you, I mean, cause you could also walk more than eight hours, but, um, right. In fact, you could walk for 24. Uh, there was a, I remember there was some famous race, like, I don't know, well back in the day, but I want to say in the 1900s that a not professional racer won because it was like a marathon run and all the runners ran and then took, you know, took, uh, at least some rest throughout the night and he just walked through the night. Oh, nice. And, and he won it with walking. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I don't know if he walked the whole way, you know, tortoise and hare style, but he won it by, uh, like not stopping at night and just, you know, walking through. Um, yeah. Anyway, I guess it's just, I would be surprised if they're the first people who've been, who, you know, were dropped in comfort and made it to Silmar. Um, just because it doesn't seem like it's that far away. Uh, and I mean, I don't know, I guess people aren't going to, where were they supposed to go? I forget what the, the, the guy at the cutscene said. If it's a major city, then we can assume it had a big population. And if it had also population, and also if the necrotic effect is strongest there, that's probably where the most zombies are. So that alone would probably make me avoid it. I don't think it's just got to be crawling with undead. And what are they going there for again? Oh, she thinks there's something there that can get them out of here. Yes, a key that can teleport them out. Oh, okay. Teleport them. I had had to teleport in my mind. I couldn't remember if that was in the text or not. So straight up, like, we're not going to, you know grab a rocket and fly out of there we're gonna just you know quantum leap out of here okay cool um we we do get um some her speculation here that the coterie are really well equipped because someone probably illegally dropped a supply cache in the zone where they were uh where they were dumped and uh he asks about that and she's like no that would be really expensive to do and kind of risky someone spent a fair amount of personal and political political capital in order to have me die in a way which could be vigorously denied afterwards which uh to me affirms that the uh her very important sounding title was in fact pretty important because someone was willing to spend a lot of money and power to make sure she got dead of course i mean she's not gonna be a princess now that'd just be like a, an incidental thing about her i mean i guess it could have been say the that there's like literally hundreds of princes and princesses and all sorts of uh positions in the king's court yeah now. the incongruity there actually jumped out at me too um so maybe it's in fact not her princessness. It's the fact that she's leading the, uh, she's like a lead researcher at the existential risk, the, the, the future for humanity Institute. Um, yeah. Yeah. That is, that is the thing that I got out of it too. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I was thinking like, okay, so someone's moving mountains to kill one princess, um, when they've got whatever, some dozens or hundreds, you know, between them and the kingship anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, so maybe someone wants the, the research into the future for humanity to stop. Hmm. Yeah. And then uh, I liked how what was what was her exact phrasing at the last of the chapter? I'll find it because it's worth reading, and it's you know we're closing in, so um, it was it's literally the last paragraph. Yeah, our enemies have made the crucial mistake of underestimating a pain drag," said Amaryllis. She stood up, rolled her shoulders, and began walking back over to the Soul Cycle. The one has to wonder how many pain drags died almost instantly after making a statement like that. <laughs> and I just love that she's trope savvy, savvy, absolutely. Um, so that's that's I think that's fun. 
that's that's got to be a staple of rational fiction too i think because the characters have to be at least as smart as the readers and all the readers are trope savvy we we already know about all these things so they have to too yeah i mean like we, we, if we were dumped in this situation we would say the same kind of thing honestly it, it maybe because you know it was all it was one paragraph and I read it all at once. Like it didn't occur to me that like, you know what, if I, if it didn't have that line, I might've thought my second read way to invoke the laws of dramatic irony moron. Um, (laughs) But yeah, she, she beat me to the punch. Um, Yeah. It's awesome. It's the, the self-awareness and it's just funny. You know, I, I I don't think it described her as chuckling, but you know, she could have been. Yeah. Yeah. That's tight. Um, All right, man. Uh, I don't have much else to add for this other than like, this was, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep track and say this one was my favorite reading yet. Um, yeah, I, it's all tied. It's all tied for first. Um, I think chapter eight was like somehow pretty slow despite it being important. Like that's why I didn't mind that we kind of, you know, I don't know sure what the word count was. Like he tinkers with, he learned, he learns a bit about how to munchkin his level up and they progress towards Silmar. Silmar. So um, I, I was glad when I got through my first time reading this that they weren't all as dense as the first chapter because we yes. just broke the three hour mark and uh, we, you know, we couldn't do that for, uh, we, we couldn't have gone on. Eh, you know what? We can't go on anymore. I can't talk. So, okay. Inash, what are we doing next week? Next week, we are reading chapters nine, 10, 11, and 12, Fuck pushing yeah. it to four chapters. I'm stoked. So nine through twelve for next week, and uh, on the the um, Patreon count, we are up to six right now. So getting, uh, yeah, getting close to that twenty-five, where you will be forced to write a pitch meeting for us. I'm so excited! Yeah, I feel like I had something I wanted to add, but you know, my brain's dead. So I think we got, we got to call it. Um, cool. Yep. Everyone have fun. Come back next week, and uh, be sure to check out Alexander Wales' Patreon as well. Um, Absolutely, which is also linked um, at our at our home page uh, and on the show notes and in the show notes. Yes. Yep. And actually, and you know, incentive. I mean, I, I so everyone should check it just to see what the rewards are. But I am uh, whatever. What do you call it? A patron of his. And yes. while I don't get to enjoy this feature, you do get early access to the chapters. So if you're yes. if you're not reading along and you're powering through, you'll want to become a patron of his immediately so you can start reading them early when they launch. And if you are a patron of his, uh, you just got eight more. I think it was eight. Maybe it was six. You just got a whole nother chapter drop yesterday. Um, well, yesterday as of the time of this recording. So about a week ago as of uh, when you're hearing it. But yeah, that's, I am excited. I have already read. I haven't read through all of them yet, but I've started in on them. And I'm going to go back to reading them soon. That's hardcore. All right. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks, bud. Yeah. Thank you. Thank everybody for listening. Thanks, Alexander, for writing this. Uh, be sure to support him, too, if you like this stuff. And uh, yeah. Thanks. Bye.